They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. Decide to pay for it with somebody else's money. Hello, Muller Junkies. Do you ever want to think about something less depressing than politics? Why not the sweet release of The End of the World? Physical Attraction is the podcast that explains concepts in physics, science, and technology. And they've just wrapped up a series on existential risks, interviewing nuclear weapons experts and discussing artificial intelligence. You can find Physical Attraction at physicspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're at it, why not check out their sister podcast, Autocracy Now!, the show about the lives of famous dictators, which is currently in the middle of a series in the life of Stalin. You're thinking about Russia and autocrats anyway, so you might as well dive into Russian history. Physical attraction for physics, science, and technology, autocracy now for the life of Stalin. There's really something for everyone. So when you're done with this episode of Muller She Wrote, subscribe to Physical Attraction and Autocracy Now today. To be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Mueller She Wrote, the leading podcast about all things Mueller. I am your anonymous host, A.G., I work high up in Trump's executive branch, so I have to remain anonymous so I don't violate the Hatch Act, because unlike other people, I have ethics. Um, uh, with me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. What's up? And Jordan Coburn. Hello. Today, on a very special Mother She Wrote, we are going to be talking to you for about 17 hours, I think. This week's news is absolutely ridiculous. The amount of it is. And also, I, wa- I decided... Uh, last week before 8 million pieces of news dropped, uh, that we would do an episode where uh, we gave the background to everything. Um, I've noticed a lot of people just joining in and tweeting like, I have no idea what's going on, but this is fantastic. (laughs) Um, Meaning like when I say, you know, smash in the crotch act, or if I don't explain why I go by AG, or, you know, if nobody knows anything, they're kind of, they don't have the, they don't have the background. So, right. I kind of wanted to give all that today. It's a context episode. It is. It's, there you go. It's a very special Muller, she wrote. Somebody gets caught with a joint in their math book, and we're all going to have problems. Anyway, uh, let's see here. The news is, it's going to start coming pretty fast at us. I don't think it's going to slow down for a while here. Uh, Jordan this week is going to bring us up to speed on the Roger Stone chapter, and she'll have an update on Nastia Ribka, sex coach mm-hmm. extraordinary, that she's the one that caught Deripaska on video briefing the Prime Minister of Russia on Manafort's meeting with the indicted Russian spy Konstantin Kalimnik, if you remember all that. 
Uh, Jalisa, you have some news on the DNC's lawsuit against Kushner and the Russian <laughs> Federation. Oh, yeah. What? I know. I love it. Uh, and there's ties to Watergate uh, with that. Um, not directly, but this is oh. kind of what happened in Watergate while the the um, committee was investing Watergate. Yeah. The D, like the DNC was just busy suing the Republicans. Oh, like, just to I, keep I did it, hear about that. To yeah. keep it going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think this is kind of part of that. Strategy. And they won, right? Like after they won all that money, yeah. They won a few. Yeah, they won all the money. It was a big game show. <laughs> they came on down. It was awesome. Yes. And you're also going to give us an update on Cambridge Analytica because new news came out mm-hmm. uh, on them this week. I'm going to go over uh, everything in the world. No, uh, I'm going to go over the indictment of Maria Butina this week. Uh, and you guys, this week on the show, we have liberal redneck Trey Crowder, who is one of my heroes. We have dark money tracker from OpenSecrets.org and contributor to CNN, NPR, Washington Post, and the New York Times, Robert McGuire. He's brilliant to talk to. We have best-selling author of Dirty Rubles uh, and founding editor of The Weaklings. His name is Greg Oliar. Plus, we have our special new Fantasy Indictment League we're going to announce for our patrons, where you can actually play along on our secret Facebook group, which I'm sure is currently being monitored by the Kremlin, probably. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I think Zuckerberg's given us up. Oh, you know it. But it's totally fine. And yeah, so we're going to have an actual Fantasy Indictment League, and I just need to express that it's not gambling, okay? Yes. Um, it, it You will win something. Uh, it might be worth money but it's not gambling i just have to say that for the good reasons <laughs> so stick around for that it's going to be fun and then finally in our flip it blue segment we have an interview with uh, amar kapanajar he's the democratic candidate for congress running against duncan hunter in california's 50th right here in our backyard in east county in san diego so we have a lot to get to this week so let's just kick it off with just the facts <laughs> All right. On Monday morning, we learned that uh, Maria Butina was indicted under seal and arrested over the weekend using a motion filed by the Department of Justice lawyers. This indictment is the first to mention Americans that participated in a conspiracy to affect American political policy knowingly and, in my opinion, signals the beginning of the end for culpable U.S. citizens in the collusion crimes uh, uh, of the Mueller investigation. I'll be going over the Butina indictment later in the show. But you guys, this is it's knocking on the door now. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> so I want to say, let us pray <laughs> to Miller. <clears throat> so we've been following the NRA and its mysterious $30 million in donations to Trump and the GOP for seven months now. And in a recent episode, we reported that Mueller likely has a list of all the NRA dark money donors, because even though they aren't required to report their donors to the public, uh, they have to report them to the IRS, and Mueller can obtain a copy of that list without notifying the NRA. So while the public does not know where the $30 million uh, from the NRA donated to Republicans and Trump came from, by law, they had to report those donors to the IRS. Well, this week, on the same day Butina was arrested, the Treasury, under Trump, announced that it is no longer going to require the NRA or any 501c3 or c6, I think, to report their dark money donors. And here to talk about that with us today is Dark Money Tracker for OpenSecrets.org and regular contributor to NPR, CNN, The Washington Post, and The New York Times, Robert McGuire. Robert, welcome to Mueller, she wrote. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really glad to have you here. And I'm really interested in your thoughts on the Treasury no longer requiring the NRA to report its dark money donors to the IRS. And if this is just the NRA or if it's any 501c3. Well, it's 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 any 501c4. So 501c3s are, are charities and educational institutions. They still have to report their donors. It's really the the groups that we're referring to when we talk about dark money groups, which are 
501c4 social welfare organizations and 501c6 trade associations like the Chamber of Commerce, for example. Um, and what's important to understand here is that the IRS was already a toothless watchdog. It was already asleep at the switch, and it has taken the move to proactively make itself a also a deaf and blind watchdog. Um, so what we have here is an instance where it doesn't really change much for those of us who are trying to root out who's behind these dark money groups because we weren't getting that information to begin with. Um, but now what we have, the position we find ourselves in is that we know the IRS is going to do even less than it already was doing. Um, to give you an example, you know, we, we track hundreds of dark money groups that have spent uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in elections over the last uh, decade. And we know of one group that the IRS has actually penalized, has, has revoked its exempt status over its political activity. So now the IRS is not even going to have all the tools it needs should it decide to ramp up any sort of uh, um, enforcement of existing rules. Um, whether in response to the fact that there is bipartisan agreement that we don't want foreign money in our elections, or if, say, after the midterms, there are, you know, uh, the, their budget has increased, for example, or they, they are new rules are put in place. Um, and so it doesn't apply just to the NRA, um, but the NRA is, is just a perfect example, or at least the situation that the NRA finds itself in right now is a perfect example of why the IRS should have this information and the fact that they announced this change the day that uh, Bettina was was arrested was particularly um, ironic because the IRA is just being or the, sorry, the NRA is just being drawn further and further into this investigation of foreign meddling in our election. And uh, we have one of the primary agencies that's that's charged with enforcing the rules not, uh, you know, saying that they're not going to get the information that they need to enforce those rules. Okay, so so if I understand correctly, you're saying the IRS was really kind of already kind of a flaccid reporting organization before, but now right. that, that they don't have to report this at all, then in situations of investigations where uh, the FBI or the Department of Justice or special counsel like Robert Mueller could have gone in and gotten uh, this list because they were required to report it, that will no longer be available to those kind of investigations. Right. So they, they'll have to keep the documents internally. Um, and so, the, you know, an investigator will eventually be able to get it, but it, it, it creates another level, another obstacle to getting that information. And also, in addition to that, you know, the NRA, we don't have access to their books, but we know as an, you know, open secrets, we track all facets of their publicly available data. And we know routinely they have um, shoddily reported information that uh, – and what I'm getting at here is that it suggests that they're not great at keeping records. And so if there's, if there's even less of a requirement to report these kind of things, they might be even worse at keeping them internally. Yeah, and, and not only that, but um, you know, 
Senator Wyden, since January, has been writing letters back and forth to the Treasury and the NRA to try to get this information uh, with no luck at all. They've just kind of said, I think the first time they replied with, here's our rules for accepting foreign donations. And then the second time they replied with, uh, no, you know, everything, we don't have any. But then the third time, I think they said they got about $2,300 from 23 different Russians who were just paying dues, but nothing about the $30 million. So even when we do have uh, people trying to or attempting to get these lists from the NRA, either they, like you said, don't have the records because they aren't keeping them, or they're very resistant in handing them over, even to members of Congress. So I I don't see how, like, I feel like the only way that we were possibly able to get this information without the NRA knowing we were looking for it was for Mueller to just go in and get it from the IRS, and that just won't be available anymore. Right. And I, and I would point out, too, that that requiring the the group itself to uh, to designate who is a foreign donor and who isn't can potentially miss the point, because anyone who's sort of kept up with with these investigations know that there are people who can be uh, used by foreign governments without knowing it. And that extends to the NRA. It is entirely possible that a Russian entity formed, for example, Limited Liability Corporation in Delaware called Americans for the Second Amendment, um, filled that LLC with, uh, you know, Russian money or even set up two LLCs and sort of filtered it through the two LLCs to, to add a second level of, of opacity. Um, and then given that money to the NRA, and if the NRA didn't do due diligence of who is this, or even if the LLC lied about whose money it is, um, then the NRA wouldn't even know that it's getting foreign money. Um, there, there's just there's there's ways that the money could have gotten in there that um, you know the NRA can't be not only trusted to honestly sort of um, say where it's coming from, but they might not actually even know in some instances where their own revenues are coming from. Yeah, and we've seen that a lot in this investigation as it's unfolded with um, the use of shell companies, Cypriot shell companies, British Virgin Island shell companies, setting up uh, Americans setting up LLCs in the United States and, and filtering that money to them through real estate deals or however they you know go about creating those, like you said, those multiple steps to create op- opacity that, we, that you, you know, just as you said, we have no idea uh, where they could have come from. I think Mueller can probably trace a lot of that, but without that initial list to begin with, um, we're kind of cut off at the knees. Right, right. And and this is sort of, this this sort of gets at the, the theme of the Trump era because, you know, we're a transparency organization. We've been around for 35 years. We've been tracking dark money extensively for about six and a half years now. And everything that we've been tracking up to the beginning of the Trump administration seems quaint. Uh, You know, we were already tracking sort of rife corruption in terms of people circumventing decades old um, uh, disclosure rules that had been repeatedly upheld by the Supreme Court. Um, But they could easily get around them by essentially, you know, uh, creatively defining their activities to the IRS. Um, But now we have this whole other level of, you know, possible large scale foreign influence, um, possible uh, uh, payments, you know, the, the, the payments to LLCs from corporations, some foreign corporations 
to buy access to the administration through people close to it. There's this whole new and not even to mention presidential profiteering off of his, you know, his properties. The fact that his own party has bought into this uh, this idea that it is in their best interest to line the president's pockets by holding fundraisers and other events at um, his DC hotel and things like this. This is all unprecedented. This is, you might find one-off instances of these kinds of things uh, over the last several decades, but the fact that it is happening in the open um, and it is t- in some instances totally untraceable um, is is something that people should really be alarmed about. And I think we're, it, sometimes it feels like we're getting used to it. And uh, you know, this, I always just wanna say, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think you naming your organization Open Secrets was a little prescient at the time, uh, considering <laughs> everything's sort of being done out in the open now and uh, just kind of right in front of our faces. Uh, wh- what would you recommend? Like, what do we do to, to stop this? Or, or do we just need to flip Congress and have new rules put in place for tracking this money? Or I mean, how do how do we even go about this, considering, like you said, all the levels of opacity that are created through all these different, you know, money laundering organizations and shell companies and LLCs, etc. What, what can we do about it as, as citizens? You know, this is where I get to the part where we are a uh, we are a both a nonpartisan transparency organization, but we are also not an advocacy organization. So we we think there should be more transparency. We think there are ways to do it. We don't advocate for specific bills. What I'll what I'll say in light of that is that we we have another you know we have three co-equal branches of government for a reason, and what what is kind of alarming is the fact that. It seems like we've already passed several red lines where it's not a partisan issue anymore to to say, for example, we don't want foreign money in our elections. We don't want foreign meddling in our elections. Um, and so it it does seem like uh, wh- one of the things that will cause uh, legislative action on this is, um, you know, flipping one of at least one of two houses in Congress. So, for example, Congress, the tax committees in Congress have the um, power to obtain and make public uh, anyone's tax returns, including the president's. Um, You know, there is that that prospect of of forcing what has up to till recently been routine transparency on the part of the president, um, even though it's been voluntary. Sorry to interrupt you. Is that the committee um, in Congress that is that where the um, ranking minority member is Maxine Waters? Is that the the committee you're talking about? I believe, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Yeah. And and so uh, you know the the thing is is that and what I would point to with with dark money the sort of the regular dark money where we're talking about with the NRA and other 501c4 organizations. There are rules on the books that the IRS could enforce tomorrow if they wanted to. Um, the problem is, is that the IRS budget has been drained almost every year for the last uh, more than a decade. And so you had instances where when there was the, you know, what's referred to as the IRS scandal a few years ago, um, you had news stories showing that 
the people whose job it is in the IRS to um, evaluate applications for exempt, exempt status didn't even know what the rules were for political activity of a nonprofit because as the IRS's budget was drained, they cut back on training of staff. They cut back on monitoring of nonprofit groups because they're a revenue collection agency. They diverted more and more funds towards the actual revenue collection part and, and away from nonprofits. So there are things like, you know, better funding for the IRS, uh, better training for the IRS. They could be done tomorrow to make sure that these groups don't get away with these kinds of things as easily as they do. Um, but in, in, in the Senate in particular, that's not going to happen as long as Mitch McConnell is Senate Majority Leader. Um, a lot of people don't know that if there's one through line in Mitch McConnell's career, it is an abhorrence for campaign finance laws and disclosure. Um, he does not like limits. He does not like um, uh, d disclosure in general. Um, and so any bill that would have an impact on that is not going to come to the floor as long as he's majority leader. So it is hard to see in this current Congress how any of these issues are resolved. Now, could there be any uh, lawsuits filed against this decision um, that might uh, end up resulting in uh, a stay on this Treasury, this new Treasury policy, or is it just kind of nothing we can do about it until unless Congress acts? Yeah, I, don't, I, I would say I haven't heard of anyone floating that idea. Um, and I feel like I would have if that was a possibility. Um, I, I, you know, and I, I think a part of it is that this is, this is not the biggest issue. So I don't want to downplay the fact that the, the, the IRS isn't, you know, going to require this information to be uh, reported to them. But the, the other issue is that a lot of people are going to say, look, the IRS is already terrible at what it does. Why, why, why take the time with a lawsuit? Let's focus on maybe, you know, taking back one house of Congress or something like that. I, I, you know, I, I, we're not the organization that would be filing that kind of a lawsuit. And I think the fact that there is so many stuff that could be, uh, you know, that is the potential uh, sort of impetus for a lawsuit right now that 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 might not be at the top of people's list. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, you know, seemingly not really a priority considering all the other civil rights and human rights and uh, exactly. emoluments violations that are happening, as you said, out in the open, <laughs> right. just kind of right under our noses. Right. Um, and that has to be interesting as a as a as an organization for transparency. Um, to have it kind of just be all out there, uh, it's it's kind of stunning. That that's what's been so strange about this. I mean, we have have long been a very soft spoken, very um, uh, very concerned about maintaining our long established um, reputation as a nonpartisan organization, which we still are. I want to be very clear about this. If you were from any other organization and you wanted to talk about democratic dark money, which there is, I would gladly talk about it. Um, but we have never, you know, usually what we're criticizing is is sort of a corruption of the system, a corruption uh, or, or the, the way that the system is set up corrupts all politicians in different ways. But now what we're seeing is a very specific 
corruption of a of a single person or a single family who happens to be the president of the United States. Um, and at every turn, you know, you think these these are norms that have been that have been sort of followed by presidents of both parties for a long time. And we're seeing that the you know criticism of the fact that this president is not following them become a partisan criticism. The, you know, it used to be accepted by Republicans and Democrats, for example, that the president releases his tax returns mm. and he's not doing it right now. And it, it, you see the outcry about it. it. It gradually has become a Democratic rally, rallying cry. And that is not good. Like that is not something that should become partisan. That should be something that we all want our, uh, you know, our public servants to follow. And um, it's it's really worrisome when you start to see those kinds of shifts. You know, the same is true for uh, the 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 president's properties, um, where if I mean we have a page called "All the President's Profiting," and you can look at it, and what you see is that political committees, Republican candidates, Republican uh, leadership packs, Republican outside groups did not spend money at Trump properties. Uh, you know, more than say. 10 or 20,000 per cycle until Donald Trump became the nominee and then the president of the United States, at which point they began pouring money into his properties. That is not normal. Like in mm-hmm. that, and that should not be a partisan thing. That is, that is, it sullies our country. The fact that it was particularly knowing that that's the tip of the iceberg, knowing that if you're a foreign government, you can come and stay there and there's no paper trail. But you can let the the president know, as the Malaysians did when they came and they they rented out, I think, almost an entire floor of the Trump Hotel because they're under investigation by the Department of Justice for possible money laundering that also possibly included uh, Trump and Kushner properties. So, I mean, like, I mean, it, it just drives me insane that like these are the things that would not have been partisan just a few years ago. You know, if it if it had been Obama, we would have been beating the drum just as loud as we are now. Um, and the fact that it's become partisan is just it's a, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, it's it's pretty mind blowing. And um, we appreciate you uh, and your organization tracking this dark money. You do it for both sides. Uh, I'm definitely going to check out that uh, presidential profiting part uh, on your page. It's opensecrets.org. I really want to thank you for joining us today and talking about this. It's something that really should just be another checkbox on the on the list of reasons to vote this November. So I appreciate your time, Robert. Thank you. Happy to talk to you. Have a good one. You too. Have a good day. Bye. You guys, I really liked talking to Robert McGuire. He is a smart guy, and yeah. I hope that we have him on again soon because he just he does all this dark money tracking, and it's fascinating what he comes up with, and he's completely nonpartisan. So it's the Lord's work. It is. I appreciate. It. You're very churchy today. I know that is true. What is happening? <laughs> Amen. Lord's work. May the Lord open. Preach. Give to me in a dream. <laughs> uh, also on Monday, Judge Ellis postponed a Manafort hearing from last Tuesday to July 23rd, which is today, the day you're hearing this, which is not usual behavior for him. So 
it, it set off a lot of rumors that Manafort might be flipping and trying to cooperate and prosecution needed more time to work out a plea deal with him. But we found out from an insider that Ellis actually canceled all of his hearings that day. And so he probably just had to go to the dentist or something. <laughs> uh, we will find out today, Monday, the day that this airs, though, we'll find out. And also this week in Manafort news, Amy... Uh, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, (laughs) denied Manafort's motion to dismiss evidence seized during the no-knock raid on his home in Alexandria. Um, That was probably the last chance saloon for Manafort. All of his motions have been denied. He's like batting a thousand on motions. Like, I think there's a good nine or ten of them. I I, I haven't even counted them all, but I know that every time one comes up, we report it, his motions are denied. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a redacted name in the motion, which... I think, and we here at Mueller, she wrote, are speculating, is Davis. Uh, He's a former campaign advisor for John McCain and Mitt Romney, among others. And he worked with Manafort and Yanukovych, as did Tad Devine, who's Bernie's one of Bernie Sanders' campaign advisors. Also of note, uh, Mueller filed a motion to grant use immunity to five witnesses under seal for uh, the other Manafort trial that start, uh, it's going to start this Wednesday, like day after tomorrow, if you're listening to this. So Mm -hmm. the request notes that the identities of these five witnesses be kept under seal until they're called to testify. So we won't even know who they are until they call their names in court. And then finally, this past week, Judge Ellis denied Manafort's request for a change of venue. And we speculated about this last week. Uh, Jordan and I were talking about it a little bit. We've got a back and and forth from uh, episode 36. So let's listen to that clip really quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but I guess Alexandria went for Hillary for like 70 to 30. And then Roanoke, where he wants to go, went for Trump like 68 to 32 or something like that. Right. But but yeah, that's the process of picking a jury to make one that like, they got it, Manafort. Mm-hmm. And it's not or like the news because he's pissed about the news, the media leaks about his case. And it's like, it's not like it just leaked to Alexandria. The whole country got a hold of that information, dude. Yeah. I don't know where you're going to go. Right. Uh, and it's not detrimental to your case anyway. So I, I don't think Ellis will grant him that. Um, yeah, I trust him. We'll see. So we had said that Ellis would say no to a change of venue because the news was not only reported to Alexandria and not Roanoke, right? Like news comes out across the country. And Jordan said, you're not allowed to have a jury that has half Democrats and half Republicans. And Ellis actually said that. We called it. Ellis said, Manafort does not get to have an ignorant jury, nor does he get one with as many Republicans as Democrats. And moreover, the the nationwide coverage of the case would make any move ineffectual. So high five, you guys. We called it. Yeah. We should be judges. I think so. (laughs) Yes. As long as you can have wine on the stand. Oh, wine judges. Oh, wine I like judges. TV show. No whining, except my Yeah. Love. Oh, dude, we could put out a really great thing on the CW. Yeah, a Pinterest We could sign. call it, yeah, no whining. Dude, we have friends at the CW. We were hanging out with them yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh, well, great. We'll just do it. <laughs> uh, we had Proops on. Proops is on the CWs. So yeah? maybe, we, you know, Ooh. maybe we could just start a, uh, you know, I'm sick of your whining and then just drink wine and judge people. <laughs> a oh mock my trial. Gosh. That'd be so fun. <laughs> yes. Mockery trial. <gasps> we could have Colin Mockery on it. Democracy. No. Democracy no. now. <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. You. Uh, anyway, uh, so we, uh, we're going to finish up. This trial is starting day after tomorrow, you guys, and it's in open court. Okay. There's no cameras allowed, but it's open court. Dude, like let's open do a road trip. It's open to the public. Virginia road trip. What? Yeah, let's do it. Word. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in D.C. in. Um, First week of August. Oh. Already for work. Dude, that is our Coachella. Seriously. 
<laughs> we'll go in wearing flower crowns. Festival chicks. Yeah, stands. I've got like 9,000 wristbands on. Yes. It'd be great. With a Fitbit so I can count my steps. Ooh, you um, dress like Lady Liberty, you know. <laughs> You'd be blind, though. Can you cut out eye holes when you're oh. <laughs> Lady Liberty? I'm not sure. I would run into everything. All right. Well, if we don't do it, one of our listeners has to. Yes, please. Somebody has to go for us. Uh, but yeah, we're going to wrap up the... MSW book club coverage of a higher loyalty this week. This is the last chapter. And then starting next week, we're going to be covering the Manafort trial in its place, but they're going to be free episodes. We're not going to require you to be a patron to listen to the Manafort trial. Um, and, you know, I, I have really have no idea what those episodes are going to look like yet. Um, I've just decided that this is something that I want to cover. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably going to be too much to stick in this main episode like I'm trying to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, look for that next week. So as I said, it's going to be held in open court. All the information will be available to the public. So yeah, buckle up for that. In other Manafort news, in Mananigans, Mueller released uh, the, a list of about 500 evidence exhibits. And it's amazing, you guys. Did you see this? Mm-mm. He lists every single um, piece of evidence he's putting into the court, like That's every beautiful. exhibit of evidence, 500 of them. It includes that Manafort and Gates worked for seven years as foreign lobbyists without registering with Farah. It shows big loans made and then forgiven, which is an old money laundering trick. Mm. And Mueller has the letters of forgiveness. Oh. Uh, it includes a full list of offshore accounts. There's a million of them used to divide and launder money or divide laundered money, I should say. <clears throat> and it has a list of emails implicating others, including Manafort's wife. Uh, she may be one of the five witnesses offered immunity, by the way. Hmm. I was thinking about this. Like, I mean, we could always guess what five witnesses are going to be offered immunity, but we'll figure it out. It'll it'll come out soon enough, so I hate to guess and be wrong. Mm-hmm. But I bet his wife is one of them. And I bet Davis of Davis Manafort, the McCain aide, is another one. Yeah. Uh, and I bet Tad Devine is one of them. That makes sense, if it's <clears throat> Davis. Yeah, it's Bernie's campaign advisor. I'd like to think Bernie had no idea, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> uh, as I've said before, whatever Mueller finds, I'm, I'm down with. Yeah, not down with, but I'll I'll accept. take I'll accept as truth. Yeah, yeah, for I'm sure. Sorry. Can you clarify one more time? <clears throat> what that they had no idea of what explicitly the Bernie campaign. Well, you don't know. Ah, but Tad Devine, who's Bernie, one of seniors, one of seniors Bernie campaign advisors, <laughs> one of Bernie's senior campaign advisors, uh, worked with. Um, Manafort on Yanukovych's campaign. Right. When he found out Yanukovych was going to overthrow Tymoshenko and it was looking to be like he was an asshole, he quit um, and then went to work for Bernie. Hmm. Now, a lot of people are, are you know, positing that um, Bernie was in cahoots with Russia to try to win, uh, to try to beat Hillary. Wow. What makes more sense to me is that Russia knew that if they divided the Democratic electorate between Bernie and Hillary, they would have a better chance of electing Trump. Yeah. So they probably either either it's just a coincidence or they put T- uh, Tad Devine in there um, to help Bernie be awesome, which I don't know if he needed any help because he's a pretty awesome fella. True. But um, <clears throat> like that was their goal was to really because that's where Bernie bros came from. Like. Mm-hmm. I don't know any actual asshole Bernie supporters. I, Bernie or bus people. I I mean, I think they're assholeish when they, well, I guess I shouldn't say. <laughs> but I was Those gonna, could be fake Russians. Oh, I didn't consider that. Yeah. So we the have ones to. ones that are really extreme. Yeah. The yeah. Bernie bros, the fucking assholes. I don't know any actual, I've never met yeah, physically a Bernie supporter that's a fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know what the truth is. But whatever Mueller says, I'll be like, all right, that's truth. Yeah. Um, that's the difference between me and wow. Trump supporters. 
<clears throat> because I think no matter what he says about Trump, they'll be like, no, it's a lie. Yeah, your cognitive dissonance is mm-hmm. at a much more mature level. Oh. <laughs> I was on NPR yesterday, too, dude. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason I had something smart in my brain. Yeah, no, I love it. She listens to the NPR like, like all the time here. when she's driving. It's awesome. <laughs> That's all I listen to. Really? Yeah. I don't drive, so I don't. I like how you call it the NPR. The NPR. It's like, it's like the reverse, like how old people call it the MTV and the, and, and <laughs> the, the Facebook. Weed. You're smoking the Facebook. Yeah. And then like now young people are calling old people stuff the NPR. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of a nice reversal. <laughs> I, I didn't realize they said it. that. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I think that these three of these five witnesses offered immunity, I think, are going to be Davis. I think it's going to be Tad Devine, and I think it's going to be Manafort's wife. And I got uh, put beans on that. I got a f- great tweet. Let me see if I can find it's from Poop Weasel. I love Poop Weasel. Yeah. Follow Poop Weasel. Poop Weasel. Because and... it makes you happy every time you see the handle. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a weasel. It's it a, is. It's a cute it's a little, little ferret. Weasel. I love it. It's got a cape. I appreciate it. So yeah, at poop underscore weasel uh, says, if your show wasn't going to run long before, now you've got to squeeze in Carter Page FISA warrants and Paul Manafort's gangbangs. Now, that's a funny tweet. And let me explain to you what Paul Manafort's gangbangs are about. There's emails uncovered in this evidence trail between his wife and his daughters about how uh, his wife was um, super sad and upset because Manafort would uh, have sex orgies and force her to watch. Huh. And the and the daughters are like, you you need to leave him. And he, and she's like, well, he's busy now. <laughs> Wait, so. I'm sorry. She is a cook? Not exactly. No, he she's forced kinda, to do it. Yeah. Oh, she was forced to. Yeah. She had to he watch was, Manafort have orgies. Got it, got it, got it. I thought you were saying that she was upset he wouldn't let her watch the orgies. No, like, she was sad because they freak. He's a sex okay. addict and they forced her to. Got it. That's awful and horrible. Yeah. So that's one aspect of this 500 uh, evidence thing that came out. And let's see. There was also a list of businesses that uh, Manafort bought luxury and goods, uh, luxury goods and services from, and many of them are mafia owned. Um, that's a money laundering trick. Uh, it has payoffs to lawmen and lawwomen, um, and then five years of books certified by the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. All of that is in this, and and that's only like seven of the five hundred things. Wow! So all in all, I mean, if we if we get serious about it, Manafort is fucked. 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 Mm-hmm. 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 How's that? Mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah. We change a little bit every week, sorry. We do. <laughs> we do. We either get worse or better. And, yeah. And like you a, know what's great is that there's no consistency. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Georgia O'Keeffe painting. Just, yeah. It is. That's the surprise. We need a, a mana kazoo that, oh. that we tune with. Yeah, yeah, but that is based on your humming, though. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll take a kazoo in B flat, please. No, you won't. Remember when I said cognitive dissonance? <laughs> Good times, man. Good times. Moving on. <laughs> Um, a story came out uh, this week that there was actually a series of meetings in the Seychelles. Did you guys hear about this? We kn- we knew about the main one, right? That was the one with Eric Prince, Nader, who was representing the UAE in Saudi Arabia, Imbiza and Imbissa. Um, when I say Imbiza and Imbissa, I'm talking uh, Mohammed bin Salman and the other guy, the, the crown princes of Saudi Arabia and UAE. Yes. United Arab Emirates, um, respectively. Thank I keep you. using... Thank you for the reminder. Yeah, I keep using all these... Oh, UAE and Bissa and Bissa. And you're like, uh-huh. I just tuned in this week. What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, anyway, so the, you know, it was Prince and him and uh, Dmitriev, this Russian guy, uh, and they were talking about setting up a back channel and lifting sanctions in Russia. And we learned this week there was actually a series of meetings um, attended by more Russians about lifting sanctions on Russia to facilitate trade. It's unclear exactly how many Russians, but reports point to more than 10, including a sanctioned oligarch named Scotch. Here he goes down, down into my belly. Scotchy, scotch, scotch. <laughs> and, and sources close to the Mueller probe say that he is, Mueller is now focusing on all of these meetings as a group. Other people on the island during that time include Alexander Moscovich, uh, a Trump financier with Bayrock. That's who that guy is. And Abdul Rahman Khalid bin Mufasa. He's the son of a Saudi bank chair. That sounds like a song. Son of a Saudi bank chair. Yeah, I'm digging the Mufasa name. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it might be Mafuz. Aw. Yeah, sorry. Okay. It's not Mufasa. <laughs> uh, then, of course, on Monday, we had what's being referred to as the Treason Summit. Yay. <laughs> uh, I had the distinct pleasure of talking to liberal redneck Trey Crowder about that this week. We did an interview via cell phone, so apologize for the audio, but let's hear that clip. With us today, a very special guest, one of my personal favorites. He's a comedian known for his liberal redneck online series. You might have even seen him on Real Time with Bill Maher, which is one of my dreams come true. So please welcome today. Trey Crowder is with us. Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, no problem. We are so, so excited that you're here. Uh, I love your online series, and I did catch you on Bill Maher. That was so great. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. it was, that was a, uh, a dream come to, uh, a dream come true for me as well. I've been watching uh, real time pretty much since it came on, you know. I mean, going back to high school days for me, I've been a fan of the show for a long time. So, yeah, that was uh, awesome awesome uh opportunity to get yeah i bet they're a great staff too i imagine the writers there are just wonderful people and and that probably everybody in that production is just is just awesome to work with so congratulations on that yeah it, it, it's uh I've done, <clears throat> excuse me i've actually done it two times now and they really have a i mean yeah it's unsurprising cause it's been you know, a lauded show for a long time, but they it's definitely a well-oiled machine that the, they run, the producers run over there. And uh, I do love the writers. Anytime I've been on afterwards, you know, I always end up talking to the writers the most, like in any kind of after party or hanging around things, all the like political figures and stuff, I end up with the comedy people, you know. Actually, a buddy of mine is a stand-up comedian, his name's Nick Catteron. He's a writer for that show now. So uh, the last time I was on, I got, you know, hung, hung out with him and the rest of the scribes afterwards because those are my people. But yeah, I love everybody over there. Right. That's so awesome. Yeah. The scribes. Definitely. Um, yeah. The, and I, I've heard and seen uh, a lot of their writers around doing stuff. So it's it's um, congratulations to them for getting where they're at. And, and I'm happy that you got to be on there. And I, I look forward to you being on there again today. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, this week. And in fact, it, it, it's today that we're actually recording this call that Trump uh-huh. had, his, had his little treason summit. Uh, over with Putin in Helsinki, and I think the whole world just watched that with their just jaws on the floor. I couldn't believe it today. Did you see any of it? 
Yeah, I've been watching it, uh, watching coverage of it uh, for CNN or on CNN for the better part of the day today, and it's weird. I go back and forth because I mean I'm with you in turn and with you and most of the rest of the world, and, and as far as uh, I can't believe this is happening, you know, throughout uh, large parts of it. But then another part of my brain is like, well, why, you know, why not? Like this is all totally completely in Trump's wheelhouse, like, on the one hand, it's even as egregious and ridiculous and absurd as the whole situation is, it's almost like, what else do we expect from this dude at this point? You know, like, I thought it was all very much classic Trump, you know, as terrible as that fact may be. Yeah, I was hoping at least, though, that there would have been a moment where he didn't completely sell out the entire intelligence community community, and, and pretty much the United States and our elections, like, to yeah. Putin right in front of him on a world stage. I like. I wish there was some sort of meeting that they had had beforehand where he's like, look, I gotta hand your ass to you today, and I don't want to, but, like... They're going to make me, if I don't, it's going to look suspicious, so I got to do it this way. Like, not even that kind of shallow bullshit arrangement was made. He just went out and just, just basically just handed us over. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt scared and violated. Yeah, he, uh, I like the part where one of the journalists in attendance asked him, and I like the way he asked it, too, because I felt like he was asking it, like, like that, this particular journal, journalist in this moment was like the voice of so many people, myself included, watching it. He just asked him, he was like, uh, President Trump, are you, are you ready to hold Russia accountable for, well, anything? And that's, and that's how he asked the question, <laughs> you know, it's all exasperated like that. He was like, anything at all? And then Trump started out his answer by saying, yeah, yes, um, but and that, but then immediately pivoted to, I, I hold us both accountable. Both countries have made a lot of mistakes. Both countries have been foolish, and it's both countries. And I am, and during that part, I immediately, for me at least, I immediately took me back to right after uh, Charlottesville, Virginia last year. You know, when exactly. there were neo-Nazis exactly marching up there, and, and a person... You know, a pe- a, like a person died uh, while up there, and they asked him, you know, about denouncing that movement or those types of protests and activities. They said the same thing then. When on one side you have Nazis marching for Confederate stat, homicidal Nazis marching for Confederate statues, and on the other side are counter protesters. And his answer at that same time, or his answer at that time, was the same thing of. Well, you know, it's both sides. There's bad eggs on both sides. You can't really levy the blame in one particular direction. That's exactly what I thought of today when he <laughs> answered that question about Russia in the way that he did. And that goes back to what I was saying about it. it's hard to be surprised by any of it, 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 it even as terrifying as it all is, because it, there's, I, there's nothing I would put past this guy when it comes to well, anything, frankly. So, yeah, but I'm, I, and also I will say that, I, you know, based on a lot of stuff that I've seen so far today, but they've done this before, but like so many Republicans, you know, have decried this, uh, 
this summit, his performance at it, talking about the, it's the most disgraceful perform public performance by a U.S. president maybe ever, and all this type of stuff, and that it's um, a detriment to national security and and uh, our, you know the entire American government and everything, and that's coming from all sides. And you'd like to think that that means that, uh, you know, they'll actually do something about it at this point, but I have less than zero faith that that will happen. They're all going to, you know, wring their hands and gnash their teeth about how disappointed they are, but nothing at all will happen. Like, you know, two weeks from now, you know, it'll be something else. Uh, I hope that I'm wrong, but that's definitely where I stand on it. Yeah, and I can't understand the allegiance. I mean, they got their tax cuts. Uh, I don't understand what they're holding on to Trump for. The only thing that explains it is that they are somehow complicit in the in the uh, Russian conspiracy. In my mind, yeah, I I feel like there's got to be a lot of them at the higher levels that also that know that yeah that their names stand to get uh, or that they stand to get implicated in some fashion in any kind of downfall because I mean I agree with you I, I don't outside of that I don't understand it either I thought for a long time that if you're on the right currently like within the actual you know reaches of our government uh, or the political sphere if you're on the right at present you'd be best served by you know, distancing yourself as much as possible from Trump or being one of the ones that actively goes against him because I just cannot imagine that, you know, history is going to favor anybody that was too closely aligned with Trump eventually once all the dust settles. So to me, it seems like the most politically astute move would be to, you know, set yourself in opposition to him, but uh, you know, apparently not, because if that was the case, I mean, you'd think they'd be doing it, and they're not. So, I don't know. They put party over country all the time. So, uh, you know, who knows with them? Yeah, and and, and the astonishing thing is, is uh, with the 12 indictments we received the day before he left for Helsinki, uh, it outlined it in detail. Um, and you know, of course, we had the 13 Russians from the previous indictment, um, and the like. I think we talked about this on our last show. The only thing he should have gone over to Russia for was to detain and return 25 Russians to the to the Mueller probe for for trial to stand trial in the United States. But to 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 recommend uh, that Putin recommended making the Mueller probe a joint effort, and Trump agreed and thought it was a great yeah. idea just to hear that is bone chilling and it's it's laughable and terrifying it's the weirdest feeling i have right now i don't know how to explain it yeah no I, laughable and terrifying i think is a pretty apt way to describe it that's how i have felt you know for the better part of his administration uh so i mean yeah i think it's tremendously appropriate i was i want to you know, I realize you, you, you're asking the questions around who that's fine, but I wanted to ask you something, though, uh, just crossing my mind, because in watching this with all this unfold, and with a lot of things with Trump, I actually go back and forth between two uh, 
possibility. There's a lot, lot more than just two, but I'm saying at certain times, it feels like he's just straight up at this point, you know, almost a Russian agent or like he's compromised, you know, clearly, whether and that's whether that's because Putin has stuff on him or whatever, but he seems to be in Putin's pocket. Then other times, though, I, I think that it's just that it's simpler than that and dumber than that. And it's more a matter of just he gets in a room with, that he thinks that Putin is, is his boy and that Putin is like the only person that really gets what it's like for him and like him and Putin get together and commiserate about, you know, journalists or the deep state or fake news and all this type of stuff. And that, you know, Putin, former KGB agent, he's manipulating him on purpose. He knows exactly what he's doing, but that Trump just eats all that up and just believes it, you know, and thinks that Putin is his buddy and the only one that really gets him. And they're in this together. And it's just, you know, a, a much less malicious, but arguably even more terrifying because of the, you know, incompetence involved. All right. Well, this has been so awesome. Trey Crowder, thanks for joining us today. You're on tour right now, right? You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I tour with, uh, I've been on tour for a little over two years with two other progressive Southern comedians. Uh, that's right. There are more of us. Two of my good buddies, their names Corey Ryan Forster and Drew Morgan, uh, hilarious guys that are cut from the same cloth as me. So if you like my videos or what I'm about, you'll like them too. And the three of us tour the country doing stand-up. Um, we have been all over the country and continue to do so. So we have a website for that. It's called uh, Well Read Comedy, and it's spelled R-E-D. It's like Well Redneck. It's a pun. You get it. Uh, WellReadComedy.com. And you can see all the dates and where we're going and get tickets on there and come see us uh, live out there in America. You know, and um, it's a good time. So, yeah, come see us. All right. Well, you heard it here. Definitely check out Well Read Comedy. That's R-E-D, wellreadcomedy.com. Get all the tour information. Um, you can also check out his Liberal Redneck online series and check him out on Bill Maher. Go and watch those past episodes. They're really great. They're always fun to watch. So, again, Trey Crowder, thank you so much for joining us this week. Well, thank you. Pleasure was mine. It's always nice to commiserate. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, have a good week. Uh, you too. See ya. Bye-bye. I love him so much, you guys. <laughs> His voice, I could sleep to it. So good. Yeah, he's really, really awesome. And and after we talked to Trey, there was this crazy amount of fallout from the summit in Helsinki, including a reversal by Trump, who came out on TV saying he did agree uh, with the intelligence community that Russia interfered in our elections. But he added, and it could have been others. He always does that. Um, even though that was not in his notes, a, a photographer got a snapshot of his notes in that meeting. And he added that and he mm -hmm. added no collusion and he spelled collusion wrong, <laughs> which is so fantastic. No collusion with one L. Mm. Oh my uh, so he said uh, he does agree with the intelligence community. Russia interfered in our elections and it could have been others. Um, and it's just insane. But the crux of his defense was that what he said in Helsinki uh, when he said he had no reason to believe Russia would have interfered, uh, that he actually meant he had no reason to believe Russia wouldn't have interfered. And that bullshit quickly escalated into all kinds of mockery from the internet, including <laughs> my favorite, a Richard Marks tweet saying, I wouldn't be right here waiting for you. Uh, and Queen saying, we meant to say we won't rock you. 
uh, and just a litany of all sorts of famous people reversing their positions. It was hilarious. Do you have other examples of this? Yeah, I saw one of uh, people just retitling song titles. One was I Wouldn't Die For You by Prince. <laughs> Uh, another was I wouldn't walk 500 miles <laughs> by the proclaimers. I probably wouldn't do that either. Yeah. And uh, finally, I wouldn't do anything for love. Meet love. <laughs> I was just thinking about that one. I was like, would they continue with I I wouldn't do anything for love, but I would do that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you okay. have to go that other yeah, way, right? Yeah. yeah but I yeah. would do that. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a good meme that was a picture. It was uh, Homer Simpson when he has the angel and the devil on his shoulders. And the angel saying, just tell the truth and ask forgiveness. And the devil saying, say you meant to say wouldn't instead of what. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so fantastic. Yeah, there was all sorts of examples of that. And it was like they have all these, uh, um, what are they called, montages out there. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I think Late Night did one. I think Colbert did one. Anyway, I think Late Night is Colbert. The Late Show? Oh, no, Tonight Show. Anyway. Right. They're also similar. Those yeah. fellas. Yeah. One yeah, white what guy. They, what were they thinking, naming everything basically the same company? Yeah. The Tonight <laughs> Show, Tonight, Late Night, Late Late Night. Mm-hmm. The Tonight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Night Late Talk Shows. <laughs> <laughs> dark. It's dark out and they're talking. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be my show. It's dark and we're talking. I like that. <laughs> With AG. Ooh. I would have dark people talking. <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want, girl. <laughs> anyway, uh, then this was really funny. Later on during a press conference, Trump was asked again if he thought Russia was interfering. And he said, thank you. No. Uh, and Sarah Sanders uh, had to backtrack and say he wasn't saying no to her question, but he was saying no to taking any more questions. So like, mm. she's like, did, did Russia do this? And he's like, thank you. No, mm, no. And she's like, did you just tell me no, no. And then and then everyone gets ushered out of the room. But then it stops for a minute. And it it would, you know, I would believe him for half a second if he didn't continue answering questions after that. Mm -hmm. He kept answering questions. So so for Sarah Sanders to say uh, he said, no, thank you, because he was done answering questions. But then he went on to answer like, fuck you. I don't believe your face. (laughs) I don't believe anything they say now. Mm -mm. Um, Not that I did before, but like extra now. Um, we found out the DNC has been trying to serve Kushner, <laughs> and Jalisa is going to go over that later in the show, and it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, Roger Stone news this week, including his aide Andrew Miller meeting with Mueller, Miller Mueller, uh, <laughs> and a judge, uh, and a Manhattan madam being subpoenaed this week. Jordan's going to cover that for us later. I'm I excited will. to talk about her. Juicy. Juicy, <laughs> juicy. I'll, yeah, really interesting, that lady. <clears throat> yeah, she was in, uh, she was part of the, she, I think, you know what, I can't remember. Yeah. She's done a lot. She oh, has. the Spitzer? Ooh. Elliot Spitzer? Elliot Spitzer scandal? Yeah. I think yeah. that was her, right? Good I don't memory. know. I didn't see that, but that would not be surprising. Yeah, I think she was the one. Um, Ugh. It's funny for a guy named Spitzer to be caught up in a sex scandal. Oh, it is. Like, like Anthony Weiner. <laughs> exactly. Like, that is just... Come you on, were, man. You were made to be a predator. <laughs> yeah, which is point. so sad. They probably never stood a chance. But how can you not send dick pics to somebody if your name's Anthony Weiner? Like, I would how especially can you not? not do it. <laughs> yeah, you probably should be extra careful. Yeah. Yeah. You should probably grow up like, I'd be very careful about yes. showing people my wiener. <laughs> Remove all phallic things from your life. <laughs> That's my middle yes. name. No, it's your first name, and you need to be careful. <laughs> Uh, also Wednesday, the House Appropriations Committee refused to fund election security. And this is unbelievable. They, they, they voted to not 
continue funding election security for states. But the Senate did vote 98 to zero to not allow Trump to hand Americans over to Russia for questioning, Hmm. which was shockingly, he was shockingly considering that. I was going to say, why do we even have to vote? According to the White House press secretary, Sarah Fuckface, um, (laughs) some of the people being considered to be handed over were Mike McFall, who we read about him in Russian roulette. He's the old Russian ambassador under Obama. Bill Browder, we know about him from the Magnitsky Act. And if you if you need some background on the Magnitsky Act, I just don't have time this episode. Just <laughs> go listen to episode two. Episode two, number two. And sorry about it Everything. sounding like I recorded it in my bathroom because I did. Um, so Bill Browder. Um, and then others on the list were Weiner. He was a former State Department operative connected to Christopher Steele that had been investigating Russian state operatives since the 90s and a guy named Kramer he's the guy who got the copy of the dossier for McCain who delivered it to Woods who gave it who gave it to McCain who then promptly turned it over to Jim Comey Mm -hmm. who by the way tweeted this week that everyone should vote for Democrats in November right did you see that yeah and I had a I had a Comey gasm (laughs) Mm -hmm. just kidding a Comey gasm Comey gasm just a Comey gasm I like it and uh Justice Boner and it was fantastic (laughs) he was on wait wait don't tell me this week it was oh adorable that sounds way. adorable. You I need, watch that. It was funny because <clears throat> if you listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, they do a quiz. Like It's called That's Not My Job. They do it for famous people. And they asked him a, a questions about loyalty programs, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. That's cute. And they asked him one question. I can't remember the question. I can't remember the multiple choice. But when, he, when Comey guessed, uh, uh, he, he said, I, I, would, I would say A. And, and they go... And the audience was like, oh, no. And, and Peter uh, Sagal, he's the host. He's like, ah. And he's like, I mean, I meant to say, I wouldn't say A. And it was just so fantastic. Everybody like, gave him a standing ovation. And they were making fun of the fact that he kind of, uh, we're going to reopen this quiz. That's it was just really good. beautiful. That's it's, my favorite kind of stuff right there. If you get a chance to listen to it, you should listen to it. It's yeah. very endearing. Maybe and, I can find it and put it in our newsletter. Oh, that yeah. would be great. Yeah. If you get the newsletter, that would be awesome. Patreons, do it. Uh, then on Wednesday, we found out what I consider to be the biggest news of the week. This is the biggest news of the week. The New York Times reported that Trump was shown proof of the Russian election attack during his IC brief two weeks prior, two weeks prior to his inauguration. Mm. He was given raw evidence of emails showing Putin had directed the attack. We knew from Russian roulette, uh, from reading that book and covering that, that Obama was shown this intel, but we didn't know until this week that Trump had been shown it too. And this is amazing because now... Even if you're a Trump supporter, like all of us are like, it doesn't matter. He was meddling anyway. He knew about everything. Mm -hmm. But even if you're a Trump supporter saying he didn't have anything to do with the Russians helping him, like it was just people around him and he didn't know, even if that's your position, uh, you can no longer say Trump didn't know. He was shown evidence and continued to cover for Russia this whole time. He's been lying to everyone. And uh, we all knew, like I said, he knew about Russian interference because we're operating on the conjecture that he participated in it. Mm-hmm. But even without that, at the very least, he knew about the attack. And not only has he done nothing about it, he's actively been covering it up. And lots of people have been speculating on who burned the source. Some say Trump gave it up. Others say the IC did it. Some blame the New York Times. I reserve judgment on this for the time being because we knew about this when it was reported in Russian roulette. So the source, to me, in my mind, was burned a while ago. Um, but I had the pleasure of speaking to best-selling author Greg Oliar about, about this reporting. So let's take a listen to that interview. 
So joining us today to talk about the IC briefing of Donald Trump on Russian interference two weeks prior to his inauguration is L.A. Times bestselling author, the founding editor of The Weaklings, and author of the book Dirty Rubles, An Introduction to Trump Russia, is Greg Oliar. Welcome, Greg. How are you? Hi. Thanks so much for having me. How's it going? It's going great. We really appreciate you being here today. And uh, you and I had emailed back and forth a bit about the news that dropped this week, that Trump was briefed about the Russian cyber attack weeks before he took office. Can you tell us uh, what's important about this story and maybe the implications? I mean, I think there's a couple of uh, a couple of points I'd like to make. The first is that this isn't a surprise. I mean, we knew he was briefed even as it was happening at the time. The thing that happened this week is that we got the full details of the briefing, um, and especially the, the source that possibly was burned, which I, I suppose we'll talk about in a minute. But th- this is something that we've known. Obviously, the, the, they came, they gave him a briefing about Russia, and then he came out and sort of uh, obfuscated, and, and as he's wont to do, and uh, kind of made it seem like it wasn't Russia uh, for reasons that, that we can suspect. So that, I mean, that's the first point. Um, the second point is that the people that were giving him the briefing uh, you know, you have Brennan and you have Clapper, especially Rogers also. But those are the two guys who right now have really been on Twitter and in the media a lot, sounding the treason alarm and, uh, you know, speaking in very, very strong language about the situation. Um, so I think that bears pointing out also that their names have been in the press lately. And those were the guys that were the ones doing the briefing. Now, the third point is that Trump got rid of them and replaced them with his own people, quote-unquote. Coates is there now. Christopher Wray is in charge of the FBI now. And the new people, supposedly people that Trump was comfortable with and had vetted and had done whatever he thought was okay doing to test their loyalty or whatever, however he interviews people, uh, came to the same conclusion as Brennan and Clapper and Rogers. So whatever whatever the briefing is, it is a very, very persuasive briefing. And I think that's the key point. I mean, everybody seems to, who is there seems to be in unanimous, resounding agreement that this was Putin, and there's no denying it. Okay, so if, if Trump tries to say, you know, well, nobody listened to Crazy Clapper or, you know, Crazy Brennan, they're all part of the deep state conspiracy, that, that, that's kind of irrelevant because you're saying that even now Pompeo and Ray. Okay. And Coates uh, have have seen this uh, intel and and also agree with it and have always stood with the IC's findings. Yeah, you have those guys, and you have even even the, the the Republican members of Congress. I think have have stated in very very courageous terms. That's a joke. Uh, that they also <laughs> think it's Russia. So it's it's not you know it's not it's not deniable. Anybody that's seen the evidence that has been privy to these briefings walks away very very convinced that it is Russia. And Trump is, one of the things that's so infuriating about him is how incurious he is. Now, I think that if I were the president, and if you were the president, and then anyone really, one of the coolest things about the job would be getting those intelligence briefings where you get to hear about all the stuff that's happening all around the world that nobody else knows about, that maybe you'd read about in the paper a month later or a year later or 25 years later. You know, like really, really deep, guarded secrets. And Trump just doesn't care about any of that at all. He just watches Fox and Friends. It's, it's odd. It's just strange. Yeah, it, it, I think it speaks a little bit to what he already knew, probably because he was involved. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you what you can tell us about what exactly it means to burn a source and who might have burned the source in this story. 
I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot. I mean, a source is obviously in the, in the New York Times article, they talk about somebody, a source in the Kremlin who is very, very close to Putin, and the amount of um, secrecy and everything else was such that when they briefed Obama, they gave him like a special envelope that just had that stuff in it so that nobody else could see it. I mean, the guy was, it was, it was the top secret, secretest of the secret, eyes only kind of stuff. And in order for this story to have been written, someone had to have uh, told the paper, the New York Times, about this source, maybe not giving the name, but indicating that the person was there, in which case it signals to Putin that somebody is, there's a mole, a, a Russian deep throat, if you will, very, very, very close to Putin uh, in Russia. And he's thinking, who is this person? Uh, it, it, it tips him off to the fact that somebody in his inner circle is, uh, a, a, you know, ratting him out. And that's dangerous for everybody in his inner circle, uh, not just the mole, but everybody else, too. Um, you know, Russia, historically, in the last century, is not, not afraid of these purges where they just whack everybody just to make sure that the actual traitor is dead. Uh, you know, that they'll do that. Um, another thing to, to keep in mind, because it's, it's a Times story, and the New York Times would not publish a story like this, I don't think, unless they were, say, they were, told, unless they were told that it was okay to talk about this source in the story. And that's something else. I, I don't know who told them or what, but I know that a newspaper like that will not give out matters of national security if they're told not to. Uh, they just won't do it. The, the Washington Post won't do it. The New York Times won't do it. If, if, if an administration tells them to sit on something because of a, a NATSEC reason, they will sit on it. Um, so the fact that it was put in the story anyway is curious. It means somebody gave them the green light, maybe, or they decided it, they heard it from multiple sources and decided it was okay, or uh, that the intelligence guys are like, it's worth burning the source to get the story out there. Um, I'm not saying that's what happened, but it, you know, at a certain point, uh, you know, what good is the source if the actual president of the United States is also an agent of Russia and close to Putin? You know what I mean? Like, it's worth burning the source if the result is that the traitor is removed from the White House, in my view. But uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know who, the, who, who told or what, but those are the things that we have to think about when we're trying to piece it all together. Right, and we had learned that uh, of this high-level source, uh, it was reported in Korn and, and Isakoff's book, Russian Roulette. So we knew about it, but in that book, they only talked about giving that briefing to Obama, like you said, in the white envelope. They weren't even putting it in the president's daily brief. It was so top secret. But we knew right. that the reporting had come out then. So I don't know if the source was burned back then or if it was recently burned when we found out that Trump was also given that same briefing. That I don't know. I mean, it, it could be either way, and it could be, it, and, and the question really is, who told them, and was it okay? And again, these people will not put something in a, in a publication, I don't think, uh, unless they were given the green light by people in the U.S. government for something like that. It, it, it's basically the same thing as giving out, like, troop locations and stuff like that. Yeah. Something of that nature and that guarded secrecy, I think, is not something that that people will reveal unless it's kind of, quote-unquote, okay to do it. Uh, so maybe the source is already, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Putin burned the source already, and maybe he had some polonium tea and he's no longer with us. We don't know. Right. But the, I know a little bit about how, how the newspapers work, and I know that uh, 
you know, they, they, this kind of thing goes to high levels and they won't sign off on it unless they have the, the go-ahead from the government. Yeah. Now, what about uh, the implications of this? Because we know, you know, Trump, um, when he was given that briefing, we know that his reaction was immediately only about whether or not the vote count was altered or whether or not he was legitimately elected. That was his only concern was how to spin it politically, not that the Russians had actually attacked us. But now knowing that he was given this high level, extremely persuasive evidence, what kind of implication does that have, you know, looking back on everything he's been doing to kind of... uh, I don't know, cover this up. I mean, I think it makes it, I mean, I thought that this was all starkly obvious 18 months ago, but it makes it, especially this week, I mean, what a crazy week this has been, starting in, in Helsinki on Monday, and, the, and the, just the capitulation to Putin that he displayed on the world stage, and then the Russian spy that got arrested, and then this. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how anybody could make the argument that he wasn't covering something up. I just, I, I can't think of any other, re- he's either so incurious about it, and even that doesn't make any sense. He has to be uh, hiding things. There just, there simply is no other explanation. You know, he's, he's told this in the briefing, but he already knows. Maybe he doesn't know the extent of it, but he certainly knows that the Russians helped him. Um, he asked the Russians to help him. He, he went on TV and asked them to help him. That's also not a mystery. You know, it's as public as can be. Uh, he said it was a joke, but it's, it, he did it. And uh, I just can't come up with any other explanation for why he, you know, even if you don't think that there, there was collusion or, or that it's all, you know, coincidence or, or that he didn't know or anything else, even if you buy all of that, the fact that he hasn't done anything to prevent it going forward or demanded some kind of uh, payback for it, is a huge tell. I mean, this is a guy that, that kind of made his name and created this image of being this real macho, kind of tough guy. I will protect you, you know. Let's find the, 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 the guys that did the Central Park rapist, you know, and then let's hang them, you know, that kind of thing. He's this guy that, 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 that promotes this very um, aggressive, kind of macho, uh, antiquated line of thinking. So, you know, politically, it would be awesome for him to come out and say, Putin, we can't stand this, we don't do this that way in the United States. You know, whatever he wanted to say, he would win so many uh, points doing that. I mean, for one thing, it would shut everybody up about the investigation. It would actually be the right thing to do. But he's done nothing like that. Instead, he's coward. I mean, the the pictures from Monday are, are astonishing. The guy looks, I mean, completely submissive in every way. It's, it, 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 it's, it's mind-boggling to behold. I mean, he makes, you know, he makes Neville Chamberlain look like John Wick, like pathetic. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty obvious to us that he, he looked like the beta male on that stage and in those meetings. So, And we're with you. We've, we've kind of figured this for 18 months, but now that that hard evidence is out there, it's a little more compelling, or at least hopefully it would be, to people who have been... Uh, still supporting him and believing that he didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, you know, there's one more point I want to make before we, we wind up, and that's, the, that's the, this whole idea of treason and what it means and this and that. And I think one of the, one of the problems, one of the, one of the issues people have with it is that treason itself or collusion, whatever you want to call it, is very abstract. It's not a visceral crime. It's not like he went, you know, somewhere and killed somebody. It's not like he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue. It's something like, well, he was doing, you know, there's FISA things, and then there was 
money went here to there and Russians were helping. And I think it's easy for people to kind of be like either not to understand it at all or to kind of roll their eyes or to say, which is what they're starting to do, the Trumpies, oh, who cares? You know, what difference does it make? So the Russians help. So what? And I think, you know, you have to keep in mind that it's one of the worst crime there is. Because it's a betrayal, it's a rank betrayal of all of us, of everyone in this country has been betrayed by him. And I think it's hard for people to really, it's hard for me to really wrap my mind around what that means. Because first of all, it's not something that, that anybody in this level of our position has done ever in this country. I mean, not since, you know, like Benedict, that was a long time ago. And uh, it's just, it's almost unfathomable that somebody would, would do this at all. And I think that's part of the problem, is kind of getting people to really wrap their minds around the gravity of the situation and the crime and the betrayal of all of us. I think that's a big problem. Yeah, and now he's going to invite Putin to the White House. It's, uh, it's pretty astounding. <laughs> um, uh, oh my God, it's not gonna, never going to happen. <laughs> I, I sure hope not. I think the protests will be pretty loud and, loud and clear um, on that point. But yeah, you know what? I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us uh, today about this. Uh, I, I, I understand completely where you're coming from with is trying to get people to understand the gravity of this situation. You can't just put the, this kind of news on a bumper sticker or in sound bites. It's something you have to really know a lot about. So I encourage everyone to check out your uh, book, uh, Dirty Rubles, uh, an introduction to Trump Russia. Where can they get a copy of that? You can get it on Amazon. You can order it from your local bookstore, and it's now out in audiobook. If you enjoy listening to me talk, if you're one of the five people that enjoy that, um, you can also listen to it on. Uh, hi, mom. No, you can you can listen to it on uh, on audiobook now as well. So uh, wherever fine audiobooks are sold. Is, All right. Well, thank you so much. We've uh, we've appreciated you having on today, Greg Oliar. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Bye bye. All right, so Thursday, we got an update on Nastia Ribka, and Jordan's going to go over that a little bit later in the show. Uh, Schiff and Swalwell drew up a motion this week to subpoena the interpreter from the private Trump-Putin meeting, uh, and the GOP voted no. Really? Right right down party lines. Uh, The problem with this secret meeting um, is that Putin, it doesn't matter what they actually said in the meeting. It actually fucking means nothing. Um, And that's the problem. The problem with the secret meeting is Putin can now say Trump said anything and Trump will not have any way to defend it. Putin likely recorded the meeting, and that makes Trump compromised. Uh, that's what happened to Flynn. He had secret meetings with Russians that they recorded, and then, you know, Russia had him by the balls, and that's why Sally Yates warned the White House that Flynn was likely compromised. Uh, he was fired 18 days later and now awaits sentencing for lying to the FBI about those meetings, but yet Trump is still president. Uh, but he is compromised in the exact same way. Putin can make those tapes say anything he wants. Putin can say Trump said we could have Crimea. Putin can say anything, and Trump can't be like, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Prove it, motherfucker. <laughs> Was anyone else in the room? Dumb asshole. That's like, that's like being Kobe Bryant and agreeing to meet in private with a lady. Exactly. Don't, yeah, yeah. Don't do it. Have your buddy in the room, man. Buddy system. Yeah. Protect yourself against your own crimes. Come on. <laughs> if you can't not be an asshole, bring a friend. Good Lord. Save yourself and <laughs> like, others. Jesus Christ. I'm taking crazy pills. Uh, then came Friday. Uh, Friday. 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 
hmm, we're drinking. <laughs> it's a Friday. It's that, that was like a Irish and Italian accent. I, just did. I like it's it. Interesting. It's, a Friday. it's a Friday. It's a weird Irish Italian. Oh, You're yeah. Right. You became a leprechaun yesterday. Jordan got kind of drunk and started doing this river dancing. It was awesome. <laughs> I watched liver, liver dance. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what, what happens when you drink through. too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's liver dancing. Lord of the liver dance. Over here. The plight of all Irish people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, guys. It was Comic-Con weekend, and we might have gone some places and done some things. Yeah, we hung out with um, uh, Elena, a fan of the pod. Oh, uh, nice. her birthday. Yeah, 40th birthday party. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jordan and I did a show. We did the Bad Bad Show. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was great. Yeah. <clears throat> I hadn't done comedy in a while, so it was nice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, then came Freedy. Um <laughs> Friday. And, oh, Lordy. There are tapes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a tape Cohen made of a discussion with Trump two months before the election about a $150,000 payoff to Karen McDougal, a former Playboy model that Trump had an affair with that he used to emphatically deny <laughs> was leaked to the public. So McDougal sold her, her story to the National Enquirer for $150,000 and they killed the story. It's called Catch and Kill. There's nothing illegal about it. It's just gross. What <laughs> happens is when you do it in proximity to an election to benefit yourself, then you're talking about campaign finance violations. And according to Emily Jane Fox of Vanity Fair, the tape was deemed privileged. It didn't have to go to prosecutors. It could have been squashed. So that means that only Trump and Cohen had the tape and it hadn't been given to the FBI, prosecutors, Mueller's team, anyone. Uh, Mueller's not doing Cohen case, but you know what I mean. Any of those guys. Mm-hmm. That means that one of them leaked it. And we think it was Trump. Uh, Giuliani came out Friday. Remember the Lube, Lube the Lube the Truth yeah. tour? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where yep. Giuliani just keeps letting the truth out a little bit at a time so that when the big truth comes out, everyone's ready? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lube the Truth. <laughs> the truth tour. Uh, anyway, Giuliani came out Friday and told everyone that the tape completely exonerated Donald Trump. Um, Hmm. There's actually no way it could possibly do that because even at the very least, if he didn't make any payments or didn't know about payments, he fucked a Playboy model and lied about it. Right. So total exoneration is never going to happen. And he... uh, Oh, but Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, you know, the old Clinton guy, Mm -hmm. he tweeted, quote, suffice it to say, when the recording is heard, it will not hurt Mr. Cohen and any attempt to spin cannot change what is on the tape, unquote. Wow. So I think Trump leaked the tape as part of his team's effort to get the truth out to his base, like I said, not to mention that the news distracted from Helsinki, right, the treason summit, and it takes Cohen's legs out from under him, by the way by Trump leaking this tape. Uh, because if Cohen was going to use that as a bargaining chip to flip and, and do a plea deal, he doesn't have that anymore. Mm. It's out. And that could be something that uh, Trump and Giuliani are going to systematically do, release this information slowly so that Trump, so that Cohen doesn't have any leverage. Yeah. De-weaponize it, basically. Yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. Cut his legs off the knees, pretty much. God. How likely reason- will that work? It's- I was just going to say, it works if you're people that are listening to you are honestly stupid and let things fly over their head yeah they only care about the base being convinced right they don't really care about people like us yeah so in that case yeah it's depressing (laughs) yeah it's depressing yeah Yeah. to say the least fortunately though the courts cannot be swayed by such uh leakings of the truth so no that's true prove yeah and if 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 their guiltiness trump knew about it and there was any kind of a payoff to ami or Otherwise, whether he wrote a check or did it in cash, there was one of Giuliani's uh, arguments. Mm-hmm. It, 
It doesn't matter if you if you benefited if your campaign benefited to the tune of one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's illegal. Oh that's yeah, a crime. We also learned that the special master in the Cohen case rejected about a third of the objections to evidence being covered by attorney-client privilege. That means Cohen and Trump were like, "You can't use this." They they sent like about four thousand things over to her, <laughs> and they go, "These are all protected." And she said no to about fifteen hundred of them, saying, "Nope, they're not." And so those went to the prosecution along with eight hundred eighty-three thousand more pieces of evidence. <laughs> And uh, we're probably going to see an indictment pretty soon, um, I, I reckon, <clears throat> unless there is actually a deal being cut right now. We don't know. So anyway, yeah, pretty much everything except a couple thousand documents out of millions and millions of documents has been turned over to prosecution. We found out Friday that the Department of Justice will be turning over some FISA warrant documents on Carter Page in response to a FOIA lawsuit filed by a group called Judicial Watch last April. New York Times was in on this, too. They got the, they got the goods as well. Um, I doubt that they'll get anything of substance since the Department of Justice is sending them out via FedEx. (laughs) So I don't think any real good juicy stuff's coming out. I looked through the documents, honestly, um, and there's nothing new in there. All it does is kind of prove that it wasn't just the dossier. uh, And it shows the names of the judges that approved um, the renewals and the initial FISA court uh, warrant. They're all Republicans and they're all Republican appointed judges. Bush 2, Bush 2. Bush one and Reagan, respectively. These are the moments that I wish we could fast forward to when the debate's happening in the past, you know, yeah. about what started it. And it's yeah. like, and then months later, you'll get the confirmation sent through fucking FedEx. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it must be real important. I hope you're there to sign for it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you guys, that is the week's news. Thanks for hanging in. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Muller She Wrote. The she in Muller She Wrote is no accident. Did you know we are 100% women-owned and operated? Every single person that helps make this podcast possible identifies as a woman. Our creative and web design, our engineer and producers, our editors and digital media manager, our agent, our ad execs, our merchandising manager, and even the postal service clerk that helps me with shipping in our P.O. box. All women and all LGBTQ plus allies. We will continue to employ and partner with women as our podcast grows, but we could use your help. Please support women in podcasting by visiting MullerSheWrote.com and become a patron today. All right. Welcome back. Hot notes. Welcome back. It's time for this week's hot notes, and we have a lot uh, of them for you this week. Jordan, you're going to give us updates on Roger Stone and sex coach Nastia Ribka. <laughs> but first, Jaleesa, you have reports for us on the DNC's lawsuit chasing down Kushner uh, and an update on Cambridge Analytica. So why don't you take it away? Yeah. So the DNC has been trying for months now to serve Jared Kushner a lawsuit for helping Russia meddle in the 2016 U.S. presidential elections. But Mr. Yield Kushner, coined by Jordan, has been swerving around this lawsuit. Wait, Mr. Who? Yield Kushner. Yield Kushner, the worst pub in the world. Exactly, yes. I I need that tattoo. I forgot about that. Yeah, we should open a pub. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least in our heads. Maybe even just like a brew, like a beer, like your own little... (coughs) We'll have to give him something for it, unfortunately. All right, so he's been swerving this lawsuit ever since they've been trying to deliver it, which is just too much privilege for me to even process. But basically... According to the... I know, like a secret service. Right? It's so funny. I was so pissed reading this article. So according to the Bloomberg report and the official government documents pertaining to the case, the DNC sued Kushner back in April and have been since met with a multitude of obstacles, all preventing the lawsuit from successfully being delivered. 
So the first three times, the notice was rejected at Kushner's Manhattan apartment, and they tried to serve him at his D.C. residence, but they couldn't get it there either because each time they try, no one signs for it. So (laughs) it's been that easy. And now the DNC is asking the court if they can serve Kushner's D.C. residence via ordinary first-class mail so that they won't need a signature. So this is crazy, like multiple months of just trying to get someone to sign the lawsuit. And apparently you can do that if you if you show your due diligence that you tried 90 different ways to mm-hmm. serve him, like by for certified mail, by uh, hanging it on the door, by hanging <laughs> it on his garage, by giving it to his secret service, by yeah. having someone else sign for it. Like there's nine ways and they have like 10 exhibits in this exactly. filing. Yeah, it's show all legit. the ways that they failed. And so you show that, you show your due diligence. And then it, once you've done all that, you can request respectfully mm-hmm. that you can just mail it to him first class mail. That's that is so crazy. Very thorough of a process. But what drives me crazy is why is the secret service even protecting his lying ass like that sounds so illegal and then why can't they just have a russian deliver it wouldn't that be better like maybe they'll get the message actually there it's got a little Novichok on it. Yeah. Like a secret password to get in. It's just Russian adoptions. It's like all I had to say. So uh, for anyone who doesn't get that reference, basically, here's a recap on Kush. On June 9th, 2016, uh, Kushner met with Kremlin-connected Russians at Trump Tower, along with Don Jr., Manafort, and at least five other Trump people. And we only learned about this meeting after Kushner filed a revised version of his security clearance form. Maybe he didn't want people knowing that one of the Russians there was Natalia Veselnikskaya. I love her name. I just love saying it. But uh, she's most known for lobbying against the Magnitsky Act. And so even though we later found out that this meeting was pretty much all about the Magnitsky Act, Don Jr. infamously claimed that the meeting was simply about Russian adoptions. So and then not to mention the mm, discussion. But it, it did come out that his dad helped him craft that statement. They did. On and the Giuliani has admitted that even mm-hmm. though he emphatically denied it as part of the Lube the Truth tour. Absolutely. Lube the Truth tour. The, the back and forth. I was like reading timelines about when things came out and who said what it's a clusterfuck like trying to connect who claimed something happened it was all over the place so basically we did find out yeah donald the last thing he said uh, or trump was that he did dictate the official statement about what the meeting was about and they did say that it was about sanctions in the end right that was their official final it's so crazy because they went back and forth i did it i dictated it but so what yeah it's not illegal it doesn't matter anymore why do you care after he said he didn't uh, and then also there was the discussion about the Hillary dirt, you know, that was a big part of the meeting, too. And we have all the emails about that. And it's just it's been so much back and forth. But that was the gist of the first meeting. And the second Trump Tower meeting was in August 2016. And this one included Don Jr., George Nader, Joel Zamel, and Eric Prince. And this one was interesting because it was a meeting on behalf of Saudi Arabia's crown prince and the ruler of the UAE. And it was one of the first times that it seems like the Mueller investigation became like a global investigation. Like mm-hmm. it was one of those bits of evidence that let us know this wasn't just about Russia, not to mention that Nader is now cooperating with Mueller. So that's even more interesting of this meeting. He's got partial immunity, I think. Mm-hmm. Is he the one or is it is it Nader or Nader. Sater? Ooh, I forget Sater's a guy. Yeah, that's right. Nader, Sater, Nunberg, <laughs> Stone. Yeah. I want to say Nader's definitely cooperating. I don't remember what kind of immunity deal he has. Sounds like the beginning of a poem. It does. It does. I want to say partial. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Nader, Sater, Nunberg, Stone. <laughs> yeah, some creepy like lullaby. Some Longfellow yeah. shit. <laughs> So basically, those true, tu- those true, those two Trump Tower meetings taught us that the Trump campaign was meeting with foreign government officials to help get Trump elected, which is illegal because of the Logan Act and probably other laws. <laughs> and Trump, the Trump family is not, 
you know, keen to law. Like, I feel like laws to them is just suggestions for poor people. <laughs> like, they don't seem to actually, <laughs> they don't care about the Logan Act. <laughs> that so was funny. as good as half man, half mustache. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's really <laughs> That's funny. my new favorite. <laughs> laws are just suggestions for poor people. <laughs> I'm really starting to believe that. Oh, man. That's good. Yeah, and so Kushner's dad, for example, you know, he went to jail for federal tax evasion, illegal campaign donations, and witness tampering. And Kushner Jr. himself, he basically, he's when he was working as a senior advisor for the Trump campaign in 2016, his company was facing a $1.2 billion property debt for their building at 666 Fifth Avenue. So ominous. And Kushner's response to that, according to the UAE, China, Israel, and Mexico, was to go around the world asking for money based on his political connections. So that's his whole history with that. And he ended up losing his security clearance because of it, which serves him right. And then um, Cambridge Analytica. Jesus, I don't even know how to transition. It's like, (laughs) there's so much. This is a second story unrelated. This is this unrelated you second can, story. I mean, you know what? Russia is always a segue. That's true. So yes. speaking about Russia, so, yeah, yeah. let's talk about... Yeah, I mean, there you can you pretty go. much just always do that. In fact, I was going to start a, a game called Six Degrees of mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin, where you tell me a news story and I'll connect it to Russia in six steps or less. I like that. <laughs> yes, yes. That's perfect. So this is, yes, story two about Cambridge Analytica. Uh, Damien Collins, he's a member of the British Parliament and he's leading their investigation into online disinformation. He told CNN that the data collected by Cambridge Analytica was accessed from Russia. So the discovery was made from the Information's Commissioner's Office, or the ICO, which is Britain's Data Protection Authority. And Collins added, quote, I think what we want to know now is who were those people and what access did they have and were they actually able to take some of that data themselves and use it for whatever things they wanted. And this guy, Alexander Kogan, he's a psych professor at Cambridge University who built the personality app on Facebook that gathered the data data from its users and all the users' friends as well. So they gathered about like tens of millions of Americans' data. And Kogan also told CNN that he visited Russia in May of 2014 before he began collecting data. And then he did again in April 2016. But by that time, he had already began deleting most of the data he gathered. Yeah, so Kogan denies handing over any of his data to any Russian entity, unless you consider Trump a Russian entity. (laughs) And Kogan did say that it's possible someone in Russia could have accessed the data from his computer without his knowledge. I was going to say the thing about uh, data is you don't have to give it to someone. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. He also didn't even rule out the fact that he may have inadvertently exposed the data while in Russia. So he said, quote, (laughs) I don't know what could have happened to the data once I handed it over to Cambridge Analytica. So it is difficult for me to speculate. Loop the truth. I know, man. They're so good at the spins, too. In response, Collins added, So it is possible indirectly that the Russians learned from Cambridge Analytica and used that knowledge to run ads in America during the presidential election as well. End quote. And even a British newspaper, The Observer, quoted an ICO official saying some of the systems linked to the investigation were accessed from the IP addresses that resolved to Russia and other areas of the CIS, the Commonwealth of Independent States. Mm. Yeah. In fact, last week, the ICO released a report saying Facebook broke British law by failing to protect its users' data and that it intends to fine the company £500,000 which is the largest amount allowed under data protection law, and it's about 650000 U.S. dollars. And the ICO also said it intends to audit the Psychometric Center at the University of Cambridge, where Kogan is currently on the academic staff at the School of Psychology. 
So Cambridge University said in a statement, quote, we acknowledge the interment report from the information commissioner's office. We will continue to cooperate fully with the commissioner and will work with the university's UK as it explores the issues within the higher education sector and around the emerging field of research using social media data, end quote. And Kogan, who was born in the former Soviet Union before moving to the U.S., describes this whole ordeal as Russia-phobia in America. He said, quote, It's just disappointing that we have moved away from an era of growing tolerance to an era of lessening tolerance. I am an American citizen. I grew up in the United States. But at the same time, I have no ill will to my Russian roots. Oh, Jesus. So just for context, uh, many donors to the UK Conservative Party have been reported to have connections to Cambridge Analytica. In fact, Cam Anna became heavily involved in the 2016 Brexit initiative, encouraging voters to leave the EU. Also, in March 2018, whistleblower Christopher Wiley testified to a UK government committee hearing that a firm linked to Cambridge Analytica helped the official Vote Leave campaign, which was the pro-Brexit group headed by Boris Johnson and Michael Gove. And he reported that Camana even helped them circumvent campaign finance laws during the Brexit elections. So I don't think it's really Russophobia as much as it is, you know, them trying to call this their witch hunt. You know, it's, it's the well, same. Well, it doesn't help that Russia got the Cambridge Analytica data. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. help Russia in my Russophobia oh, you don't, exactly. scenario. Yeah. That they got the data. It wouldn't help their case at all. I mean, that's the news that came out this week. Right. right? Yeah. So yeah. like. Mm, that doesn't make, it's a yeah, weak ass it. excuse. But that's that. <laughs> Sorry, it's a lot of a lot of stuff. No, it is, uh, and we, I appreciate you uh, putting giving giving us the update on that. And, Thank you. And uh, yeah, that news out this week was just kind of whoa. Russia had it neat. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Jordan, what do you have for us on Stone and Ribka? Yes, on Stone and Ribka, I'll start with I'll start with the. Roger Stone, or rather, updates that relate to Roger Stone. So this week, lawyers for Andrew Miller met with the Mueller team behind closed doors. That happened on Wednesday. For context, Andrew Miller, someone that we learned, was subpoenaed about three weeks ago and has been fighting the appearance and documents requested as a result of that subpoena ever since. So the excuse that they're using, or I should say the whatever the legal jargon is, what they're requesting by the by the judge is that uh, they dismiss all of this because Mueller's appointment was unconstitutional. Oh, they filed a motion they filed, like they did uh, that one. Manafort did, huh? They did, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> They jumped on that bandwagon. Exactly. That'd be so great if the judge is just like, Ibid, see last judge. <laughs> yeah. Mueller's fine. He yes. was supposed to be appointed. Next. Yeah, there needs to be an index for the responses <laughs> to all Seriously. of their stupid motions. Ibid, this is the ninth time you've tried to get this thrown out. No, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. And um, Andrew Miller, also just so you know, registered libertarian and worked for Roger Stone around the time of RNC 2016. Registered libertarian? Yeah. So he wears a fedora. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like Jason Mraz. Sorry. Yes. That's so funny. Sorry. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mraz was a libertarian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Has that snake flag, don't tread on me, <laughs> from their Prius, whatever libertarians do. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we would drive like a brat. You know? Oh yeah, like, it is a brat. It's a weird car truck. Oh yeah, <laughs> car a car truck. It's like a, that it, is it a libertarian. Like a, a car truck. It was like a nineteen eighties <laughs> El Camino, but like small, small, uh, small. It was small and stupid. That's funny. Uh, yeah, either that or like an Amigo Sport or something. I don't yeah, know. Interesting. I feel like yeah. Oh, PT Cruiser. Yes. Yeah. That's Very a nice. great libertarian car. Libertarians. Um, <laughs> with a big old little tread on me flag. So, <laughs> right on the huge, on the cover in the whole back window so you can't see. So he keeps backing into stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, Andrew Miller. <laughs> 
though we don't know too many details about what he's being questioned about or subpoenaed for, we do know that he worked very closely with Roger Stone on multiple occasions. And when he worked with him during the RNC 2016, it is... Uh, he, you know, allegedly helped arrange a bunch of interviews and meetings with Roger Stone and other various. So, yes. he, so he's a libertarian, this he guy, is. Miller. Okay. Yep. So yeah. who, who babysits his pet tarantula when he goes to vote? <laughs> is that a libertarian stereotype? I wasn't Probably aware a of that snake. <laughs> Iguana, who feeds his bearded lizard? Yeah. <laughs> I'm they sorry. Love yeah. Too. I'm so sorry if you like bearded lizards and tarantulas and fedoras and PT cruisers and don't tread on me. Please don't send me an email. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm trying to paint a picture. Yeah, exactly. It's a good picture. Thank you. Very accurate in my experience. Um, so to the news update that came out on Andrew Miller this week. So Wednesday, they meet behind closed doors with members of the Mueller team and the judge. And uh, this is being overseen by Chief Justice, U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell. They met for an hour and a half, and reporters were not allowed into the room. And Mueller's attorneys still try and halt the subpoena. So Mueller's team postponed the subpoena and offered potential other hearing dates in front of Judge Howell. And what was to be discussed at those hearings were, one, if the motion to squash the subpoena was timely, and two, if the motion had any merits that it could be dismissed on. So just for your information, some some things that would fall under that those merits would be an error in the grand jury proceeding or preliminary hearing or an improper venue or just <clears throat> there's a bunch of things that legal jargon lists out that could disqualify it. But I don't have a I don't have a feeling that it's going to be squashed. I think they're I'm going to go out it. on a limb and say the libertarian's going to lose this time. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> sorry. I think, yeah, I'm sorry. I think so too. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Have some billboard in like Tehachapi in an abandoned dirt lot for like eight years that Ron Paul billboards live there for like 15 years across all the times. He's just like, he's just going to keep running. Just leave it yeah. there. Just lose horribly. Um, do we know if that's what the hearings were about behind closed doors, whether or not they were talking about uh, the timely motion or if the motion had merits to be dismissed? Uh, we don't know. That's unclear. Because they didn't allow reporters. But they were talking about something and they were talking about it for a while. So we'll check back we'll check back on that. Second update for Roger Stone, which is interesting and also ties into Andrew Miller, is this woman, Kristen Davis, that AG mentioned earlier in the show. So the Mueller team is seeking to question a fr another friend of Roger Stone, Kristen Davis, a woman who in the two thousands was known for actually running a high end prostitution ring in New York. Horrible. She actually went to prison for it. That and also allegations or convictions on uh, drug trafficking charges as well. So prostitution mm -hmm. charges and drug trafficking charges. Great company. Mm -hmm. Great company this guy <laughs> surrounds himself with. So she's been subpoenaed by Mueller's team. They call her, you'll hear her referred to in the news a lot as the Manhattan Madam. That's what a lot of the headlines are reading. It's nice alliteration. It is. It is good. Every good criminal has to have a good alliteration. <laughs> or else yeah. who's going to remember who you are and the horrible things you've done? Exactly. Well, when I was the San Diego madam, it just didn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's like a mass murdering spree. What happened? <laughs> no, a madam is somebody who runs a whorehouse. Oh, that's right. A brothel. That. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I forget about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, madam. She's, so she's actually already uh, served prison time and uh, she may be going back. Just kidding. We don't know what's, <laughs> what's going to happen. But she is going to be questioned by the Mueller team. In a telephone interview on Friday, she was reached by reporters and she said that Roger Stone is one of my best friends. I have nothing bad to say about him. She called the investigation by Mueller a witch hunt. And she said, in terms of Russia collusion, I know nothing, which is not a no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. On if it happened. <laughs> um, so. 
Stone, the Mueller team, and Davis's attorney himself could not be reached for comment. And this is important because Davis is the latest of Roger Stone's close companions that have been uh, subpoenaed. So there's been a, a growing list of people that Roger Stone has worked closely with that have been sub- uh, subpoenaed by the Mueller team. There's Sam Nunberg, as we have covered his complete <laughs> meltdown on national television when he refused also it's funny, there's a trend. All of the people that are close to Roger Stone that are being subpoenaed are the ones that are dramatically refusing to come. But then they go. And then they wind when up When they going. realize they'll be in jail for 18 mm-hmm. months. <laughs> um, another person that has been that has spoken to prosecutors is Michael Caputo. We covered him last week. Andrew Miller, as we just covered. Jason Sullivan, who was Roger Stone's social media coordinator. And John Kakanis, who is Stone's driver. Kakanis. Kakanis. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, that... Everyone around Stone has been subpoenaed, but Stone has not. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And that's a very clear signal that Stone is a target. Mm-hmm. You don't generally call a target in for questioning or subpoena them to a grand jury. You just get everybody and then take them out. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, after he gets, you know, indicted, um, he might, he could make a deal with prosecutors to roll on somebody bigger. But I don't know. I feel like this is a whole separate thing. And... Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I yeah, know. I think Stone's a big fish. And I'll go over the context uh, for those of you that may just be joining Mueller, she wrote, and aren't familiar with what we've covered on him up till this point. But just to finish up this quick Davis update. So Davis has served time in prison, as I said, on uh, prostitution charges and drug trafficking charges. And Stone was actually a strategist for Davis's 2010 New York governor campaign. She ran for governor in New York. <laughs> Davis? Yes, she ran. The story that I read said she ran for governor <clears throat> in New York. And then, if you, if anyone wants to fact check me real quickly on that, because the source that I read said, yeah, that she uh, ran for governor in 2010. Is the first I heard of it too. Okay. And she gained less than one percent of the vote. Obviously, Ooh. she a libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, she might have been because Andrew Miller was also an aide to this campaign. Aha! Uh-huh. That means yes. Isn't that so interesting? And they drove a PT cruiser around the city with uh, banners on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so re-elect Mayor Goldie Wilson. Yes. So, I don't know who that is. Another reference over my head. Who yeah, is that? Yeah, it's a Back to the Future reference. Sorry. God damn it. I need to just watch that movie. What the fuck is wrong with me? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One day you make it Such a classic. Yeah. All right. And so, just to finish up this Stone update, uh, to remind you all of the context of Mr. Roger Stone, he's a longtime Trump aide and confidant. Stone has not yet been indicted, as AG just said. Everything that's happening with him and who's getting subpoenaed in his inner circle is making it look like he is being pursued as a target by the Mueller team, as opposed to a witness. Being investigated largely for his foreshadowing of the release of damaging information to Hillary Clinton by WikiLeaks, Stone has admitted to having communications on Twitter with... The one and only Guccifer 2.0, who claimed to be operated uh, by Romanians, but actually we found out, nope, uh, they were operated. That account, account is operated a 400 by 400-pound man in his bedroom. Exactly. Russian intelligence hackers is yeah. Guccifer 2.0. Uh, in 2016, Guccifer 2.0 hacked into the DNC and John Podesta laptops and got Hillary Clinton's emails and emails from the campaign and gave them to WikiLeaks. Stone says that he was not talking about any sort of 
plan to collude with Guccifer 2.0 and get that information, he said he was merely congratulating the Twitter account on being allowed back on Twitter. <laughs> he just follows people who get kicked off Twitter and then congratulates them when they come back. <laughs> is, is that his like second job <laughs> yeah. that he does? Because he's just a good guy, AG. <laughs> what a nice fella. He's just a good guy. That's yeah, it was, it was interesting because they had the emails, right? I think this came out in the 12 indictments recently, the 12 Russian indictments. They had mm-hmm. the emails and then they tried to set up, Russia tried to set up their own, uh, they set up the DC leaks, I think. And um, and that wasn't doing very well. And I think it was actually WikiLeaks who reached out, maybe via Roger Stone, and said, <clears throat> we can do better. Why don't you give them to us? Mm. So, Not illegal at all. No. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, interestingly enough, it seems like Stone has some level of self-awareness because on CNN last week, he said that he is probably the unnamed individual said to be in contact with Russian hackers and the indictment made by Mueller's team last Friday. So. Yeah, because when we did this, when we recorded our last show, he was denying that he was the guy. And now and then he came out, I guess, and said, mm-hmm. no, it, yeah, it's probably me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Since they have my word for word text messages. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he needs to get in on that lube the truth train. He needs to get <laughs> the lube the truth train. Yeah. That's so Fellini right now. That's great. That is the most sexual reverence we've ever made on this show. Get on the lube the truth train. <laughs> oh my god. Choo-choo. Yeah. Oh, so good. Lube the truth. It's gonna be new merch for Muller She Oh, hashtag for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. So my next update is on a very interesting character who we've covered a couple times now. Her name, her stage name is Nastya Ribka. Her real name is Anastasia Vashukevich. And just to give you some context on Nastya Ribka, I'm going to refer to her by that name because that's where she gets referred to uh, mm-hmm. the most. So Ribka, she's a Russian model and a sex coach. She was arrested in Thailand, if you remember us reporting on this, back in February of this year. She was arrested there while teaching sex seminars. And oh, AG, what was she doing? Like <laughs> jumping jacks, jumping on, the jacks yeah. on the beach. Jumping jacks on the beach. And what were they saying? Some mantra. Sex. I, I love mean. sex on the beach. That was it. Sex on the beach. Not exactly laying low. <laughs> no, not. A, yeah, that's true. She's kind of asking And how for is it. that sexy? Doing jumping jacks and chanting sex on it's the beach. a yeah. cultural divide there for us. Yeah. <laughs> It's like sexy over there. Yeah, it's like a sex, uh, like combat for you. Why, why, why are you gearing up for it? Like it's gonna be some. It's not what's sexy over there in Thailand. They have women that can make ping pong balls come out of their holes. You're absolutely. That is not. That is super tame for Thailand. (laughs) Yeah, they're focusing on the wrong muscle groups. (laughs) Doing jumping jacks. (laughs) So, so she gets arrested uh, for spread the the exact. It was soliciting soliciting prostitution or, or like soliciting sexual acts, I believe. So upon her arrest, uh, Ribka was sending out multiple communications and social media posts asking the U.S. directly to grant her asylum in exchange for damaging information that she had on the Trump campaign and the U.S. Uh, campaign's ties to the Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska, who she claims to have been a mistress for. And yeah. it's still, she still says, he's my boo. <laughs> Bay. Ride yep. or die. He's man. my bay. <laughs> Worst bay. Uh, recordings of Oleg Deripaska's conversations with three Trump campaign officials in 2016, or I should say, 
conversations relating to those relations are what Ribka has and gave to Alexei Navalny, as we've covered, who is a super anti-Putin, anti-Russia corruption figure in Russia. And Ribka took videos and recordings of these conversations that Deripaska had with then prime well, still prime minister the, of Russia. yeah yeah still still prime minister of Russia, and so she gave those to Navalny. They go viral, of course. That actually results in a lawsuit against Ribka and her partner. And how the lawsuit ends is they wind up owing $8,000 to Deripaska for posting private information about him on the internet without his consent. So, And that, Navalny went to jail. And uh, Yes, that is true. Let's not forget that. Yeah, <laughs> Minor detail. Right. So the reason why she is so important is because she potentially has really intense insight on the insider relationships between Deripaska and his ties to specifically Manafort. So Manafort and Rick Gates are being sued by a company that's owned by Deripaska for $25 million over failed business deals. The idea here being that Manafort then explicitly told Deripaska that he would give him private briefings on the Trump campaign and what we can only assume would be in exchange for making right with the money that he is being sued for. Not okay. (laughs) They said that they had a plan for the election, quote unquote, and Ribka said that she'd give this info to the U.S. if they rescued her. She was convinced uh, in her last email or emails and correspondences from her Thai prison that she was convinced Russia ordered her arrest and she feared being killed by Russia due to the info that she possessed. So there's a context on Ribka. Now to give the update from this week, super interesting. She's completely backpedaling and backstepping on everything that she was saying about being willing to give the U.S. intel if they granted her asylum. So Vice got an amazing story this week and they got the comments that relayed through an intermediary named Christina Sheremeteva. She's the wife of Vashukevich's, that's Ribka, um, Ribka's co-defendant and mentor, Alex Kirilov. So they had some really interesting information and these are the updates that I've been looking for personally on this story as we've been trying to stay up to date with it as it's gone on. So A day before Ribka was supposed to appear in Thai court on Thursday, Ribka uh, says that she will only give the tapes that she has of Deripaska to Deripaska and not the U.S. So she took it back. She says she's not going to give the U.S. that information. She's not seeking asylum anymore. She completely stopped. What if we already got her and got the tapes and now she's just doing this to make it look like she... I'm, that's way out there. Yeah, well, it's also been reported. <laughs> like, it's, it's coming out of my mouth. I'm like, I, uh, that's, that's... Wow. Yeah, that. I mean, that would be awesome. It is being reported that the FBI tried to talk to her and the Thai prison wouldn't allow it. So as of now, the public information is that the U.S. and any of our entities have not been able to talk to her, except yeah. for Vice. Apparently. I remember we reported on that. Yeah. Um, she said... Quote, I'm not going to blackmail anyone, and I wasn't planning to. That is false. You explicitly said that you would blackmail Russia. So (laughs) (laughs) just just a fact check there. So she has a total shift now in what she's saying that she's willing to give up. And she says, everything I have in terms of recordings, I will give to Oleg and only Oleg. And my price will be a date and a bouquet of flowers. Hmm. She said that. Hmm, She's got a sense of humor. 
Yeah, I guess so. Also a sense of infidelity and <laughs> commitment to being a mistress. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of that, too. Yeah. But whatever. That's fine. I don't know their lives. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, not making any judgments on that only the the horrible international crimes that's that's the only thing I care about. <laughs> um and yeah just to wrap this up the sources for this uh there's three people that are very close to ribka including a woman that's actually been in jail with her in a thai prison and has since been released she said that interestingly enough unidentified people have been coming up to Ribka in prison threatening her and saying that if she exposed any of the information that she had in the recordings that she would face significantly higher consequences yeah i'm not surprised yep wow dude so i guess we'll put some beans on that story oh yeah i mean that's why manafort was not in gen pop because True. putin could get to him even in prison exactly so it's not unheard it's especially less heard of in a Thai prison where they probably don't have the same kind of security measures, but I, I, I'm, I'm only assuming maybe they do and maybe we're the slackers. But oh. I mean... You can go either way. Either way she knows where to go is where it's safest. Yeah, it yeah. seems. Yeah. Yeah, I... Um, I'm surprised she's still alive, honestly. I am, well, I am too. And and what I'm wondering is, I wonder if her, if Oleg Deripaska like actually cares about her to some degree, maybe, or something... And it's like, can we work this? Can we finagle this, Putin, so she doesn't have to be executed Deaded. for this, essentially? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? I don't know. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for all your research. I know we each had two hot notes today, except for me. I'm just going to do one, but it's a long one. And by the way, guys, thanks for sticking with us. I know that this is a marathon episode, but we all <laughs> knew it was going to be. So I really appreciate the love and support. Uh, I feel like somebody should bring us water now. Um, oh, yeah. Is there anyone? No? Okay. The podcats. Where are they? We yeah. need them. Where's the podcats? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's here's what I want to talk about. A criminal complaint was filed last Saturday, not by Mueller, but from directly from the Justice Department. And it wasn't an indictment. It was a criminal, criminal complaint uh, on uh, Maria Butina. Monday, she was indicted for not registering as a Russian agent. And then a second charge for conspiracy was added Tuesday. Uh, Butina had been working with Torshin, that's a sanctioned banker, Russian guy, that made contact with the Trump campaign via Donald Trump Jr. using his membership, he's a lifetime member of the NRA. Hmm. So let me give you some background on Butina. In 2011, she formed a group we have uh, we have on our fantasy indictment list. They're called the Right to Bear Arms, <laughs> <clears throat> Bear Arms, uh, in Russia with Torshin. And uh, he tweeted about the group in April of 2012, comparing it to the NRA. It's like the Russian NRA. And Torshin um, is noted in these documents, in all these court filings, as, quote, Russian official. Um, so that's that's what they're calling him. But we and I have to tell you that Torshin's name is not in any of these things. We're just assuming it's Torshin. Exactly. So that's conjecture number one. Uh, in 2013, Butina makes contact with person one, who I think is Paul Erickson. That's conjecture two. Uh, he's an American Republican operative from South Dakota. He agrees to introduce her to key figures in American politics, including a, quote, guns rights organization, which I think is the NRA. <laughs> We're going to call that conjecture number three. Uh, that's an unnamed, they, like I said, they're unnamed in the indictment, but it's the NRA. Mm -hmm. um, in November 2013, John Bolton, our, our new White House National Security Advisor, recorded a video about pushing gun rights in Russia, and that was used by the right to bear arms. It was used by Butina and Torshin in their, wow. in their little recruiting videos. <laughs> our, our own John Bolton, who hates Russia. I know, this is crazy. Maybe he wants to promote gun rights there so more people die. I don't he know. He loves <laughs> money and power more than he hates Russia. 
I don't know what his long... I, he's, I can't even figure that guy out. He's just mustache. <laughs> uh, Butina and Torshin attended the annual NRA convention in April of 2014. Butina spends a year after this, meeting, uh, making connections, political connections. And then in March of 2015, almost a year later, she emails her diplomacy plan to Paul Erickson, person one, in an email titled, quote, The Second Posner. Now, I found this little detail interesting. I don't, I don't think a lot of people talked about this. But Posner uh, is Vladimir Posner. He's a Russian emigre propagandist that spied for Russia in, in the disinformation department of the KGB while working from within the U.S. government during the Cold War. So it appears that she's referring to herself as the second Posner. God damn it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It is so stupid. (laughs) A simple Google search would reveal that you're a foreign actor with bad intentions. Well, her name's Bootna, too. I mean, that's like, she's got two eyes in Maria. That's weird. Um, (laughs) I love your pity. I'm so sorry. It's the weirdest thing to feel sorry for someone for. I know. But yeah, you're right. I'm kind of on the attack. Um, In her email, in this uh, second Posner email, she wrote that the GOP, actually it says political party one. It's the GOP. Mm -hmm. Uh, Conjecture. (laughs) That's conjecture number four. Uh, Could be the Democrats. uh, She wrote that the GOP would likely obtain control over the U.S. government after the 2016 elections. She's writing this in 2015. She said... The GOP will likely obtain control over the U.S. government in the 2016 elections and that the GOP has traditionally been associated with negative and aggressive foreign policy toward Russia. She's that she's that she's, this is amazing. She says, quote, however, now with the right to negotiate seems best to build constructive relations. She actually writes that out in Russia. Wow. And that uh, and that central place of influence in political party one. Uh, is the gun rights organization <laughs> as the largest sponsor of the U.S. elections to Congress, as well as a sponsor of the CPAC conference and other events. So that's how we know that Political Party One is a GOP and the gun rights organization is the NRA. Right. Can I, but, okay. that she says, now that we have the right to negotiate, it seems best to build constructive ninja relations. What right to negotiate is she talking about? Right. The, the law that they create? No, not that, right? Oh, well, I mean, that's exactly what she's setting up. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Setting up literally some sort of blackmail back channel. Dude, speaking of The right to negotiate. Yeah. Now that we have the right to negotiate, we need to start making friends with the GOP. Now that we have the right to negotiate. Why do you have the right to negotiate with the GOP now? Such a good point, yeah. That stuck out to me in this. Absolutely. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, this is just a nice little reminder that none of this shit would be possible if campaign finance laws were adequate and actually benefited democracy. Thank you. But because the NRA is allowed to donate so much money to elections, then they become susceptible to people like foreign governments and agents going in and thinking, oh, this will be a good one to infiltrate because they have so much fucking influence. Preach. Okay, I'm done. Damn, Jordan. And then the Treasury taking away the ability or the necessity for them to have to report. Yep. Mm -hmm. That dark money. Oh, nuts. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm glad we got to talk to McGuire about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say, I met the P tape at Comic Con. That was what I was going to say. Yeah. (laughs) I should know what would be a good time to bring up the P tape again. It seems like. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just (laughs) mentioned it. Now that we have the right to negotiate. Yeah. Why do we have that? It's so crazy. Yeah. The Comic Con P tape thing was Mm -hmm. hilarious. So, anyway. she, so she sent out this um, second Posner email um, diplomacy plan, and that's her plan, to go through the NRA to get to the GOP because now they have the right to negotiate. 
<clears throat> and she's pretty sure the GOP is going to win the 2016 election. She knows that in 2015. Mm. Erickson responded, Paul Erickson responded with a list of people she should beat. Um, April of 2015, Butina attended the NRA convention in Nashville, where she and Torshin met with Scott Walker because he was a presidential candidate. Uh, uh, and he reported, um, actually, it, it's been reported that he spoke to her in Russian. He greeted her in Russian, Scott Walker. He's the Republican governor of Wisconsin, by the way, one of the three states where Trump eked out an electoral win by less than 80,000 votes. Yeah. You know, filled with Russians. He needs yeah. to know how to speak Russian. Yeah. He's from Wisconsin. We should all learn. No. I think someone said they always wanted to learn Russian, but they wanted it to be their choice. <laughs> <laughs> then in July of 2015, Butina attends Freedom Fest and asks Trump, you have to say it that way, if you haven't listened to the show before, <laughs> you have to say Freedom Fest. You have to say it that yeah. way. Yeah, and the pew pew. Uh, So she's there and asks Trump a question about Russia, to which he replies he would like to remove sanctions. And later on in Russian roulette, we we read, Bannon and Priebus uh, were baffled by the seemingly scripted nature of that answer. Interesting. Later in July, Butina attended Scott Walker's presidential campaign launch. Hmm. So she was hedging all her bets, right? She's making friends with all the Republican candidates. In August 2015, Butina assisted Torshin in setting up a U.S. congressional visit to Moscow. We have records, like I've seen them, showing that Rohrabacher was in Moscow in August of 2015. So that's conjecture number six. Yeah. The U.S. Yeah, congressman a lot of beans. who visited is Rohrabacher. Yep, I agree with you. In December, the NRA sent a group to Moscow to meet with the right to bear arms, and they paid for the trip, which included Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. That's the guy with all the flair. Mm. You know, that guy, that yeah. asshole. Yeah, yeah. Throughout 2015 and 2016, Butina exchanged emails with person two about setting up a series of dinners in D.C. and New York aimed at introducing Russians to American political influencers. And in January of 2016, Butina and Torshin talked about back and forth. They sent emails about logistics for the National Prayer Breakfast, which they attended in February. Donald Trump Jr. was also there. And later, Torshin tweeted that Butina was in the United States, where she reports that Trump is for the cooperation with Russia, unquote. In March 2016, Butina emailed Person 2 and said Putin was on board with their outreach plan. And in May of 2016, Torshin reached out to two different people close to the Trump campaign to set up a meeting with Trump Jr. during an NRA convention later that month. In one email, Rick Dearborn said Russia wanted to set up a dialogue with the U.S. You remember that? Yep. The, the email was called the Kremlin Connection. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Like that Another was t- <laughs> hilariously obviously named. <laughs> right. Um, and... In, in May and June, Butina set up a series of dinners with Persons 1 and 2. And we know Person 1 is Paul Erickson. Person 2, I'm still on the fence about. Um, uh, for conjecture number 7, and we're going to find this out anyway, and this is going out on a limb here because I'm, I'm not, I, the clues aren't really there for me who, for who person, person 2 is, but I think it's Donald Trump Jr. Um, Butina set up a series of dinners with Erickson and par- Person 2. And in May at the NRA convention, Torshin and Trump Jr. met briefly. In August 2016, Butina arrived in the U.S. on a student visa and, and posed as a college student. Um, she didn't do any of the work. She had operatives in Russia do all of her homework for her. That was her cover. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and in September of 2016, she reached out to persons one and two again, saying there was an urgent need to meet again. And that, that was September of 2016. In October 2016, Erickson emailed an acquaintance saying he set up a very private line of communication between the Kremlin and the GOP using the NRA. She then asks Torshin for recommendations for prayer breakfast seats. What Russians do you want to go to the prayer breakfast? 
In November, Trump wins the presidency, with the NRA spending a record $30 million supporting his campaign. After he won, Butina and Torshin had a Twitter discussion, quote, Think about which areas of life we can go towards bringing us closer. ISIS, understandably. What else we need to look at the American agenda? Butina suggests a phone call to talk about it, but Torshin is worried that his phones were tapped. Turns out they were, and Spanish intel chief Jose Grinda has said Donald Trump Jr. should be very worried and sent us all of the tap wiretapped conversations. <laughs> That's why I think person two might be Donald Trump Jr. At the end of November, after the election, Butina emailed person one about the prayer breakfast and said they were going to set up a back channel of communication with Russia. Person one tells her how to book the hotel and suggest torsion cover the costs. So this is a conspiracy with an American now on the Trump campaign. Torsion tells Butina who will be attending the prayer breakfast per the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Russia. So he's contacted the MFA, and they've said, these are the people we want to be there. Go, do it. Butina attends one of the inaugural balls in January, and in February, she and Torshin attend the prayer breakfast. Afterwards, she thanks the organizer and sets up a, a, a follow-up meeting because uh, she said she had important information to share. Then she emailed person two to thank him, saying, quote, my dearest president has received the message about your group initiatives and your <laughs> constructive and kind attention to the Russians. Thank you. There were more messages Butina sent to Torshin about the Secretary of State choice. This is in the um, affidavit from the FBI agent uh, for the criminal um, recommendation before she was indicted and to get her arrested. This is the information they used to get her arrested. Um, th- there's messages back and forth about the Secretary of State pick and how, quote, our people are not going to be good with their pick. Mm-hmm. And so the influence uh, to not choose Mitt Romney and to pick uh, Rex Tillerson instead may have originated with Torshin and Butina and the mm. NRA. Wow. Interesting. Dude. Conjecture eight. <laughs> uh, there were more messages that Butina sent to um, uh, Torshin about the Secretary of State choice uh, and the NRA money. Like I said, and the, it might be the NRA money that bought that cabinet pick. So we don't know, but you know, where else could that pick have come from? Uh, it's also important to note that Paul Erickson lobbied for KT McFarland. And that might be the connection to Flynn in all this. He's, he's cooperating, and Butina's defense team has said they also want to cooperate, but have not heard anything. We also found that Butina was actually living with Erickson and was his lover, but she was playing him <laughs> because the FBI has evidence she has offered sex to at least one other American in exchange for access to political groups. We don't have any other info on who that was or what the group she was trying to join was. Fucking weak men. I know. I like my men like, like It'd be so great if it was Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, oh my yeah. God. It comes full circle. Yeah. I'll tell you the twist at the end of my next movie. <laughs> Don't do it to me. I'm nice, Shyamalan. Don't do it. Uh, then in January 2018, we reported that Mueller was investigating the NRA, right? This past January. Month later, uh, the group admitted to accepting dues from Russians, totaling $2,500 from 23 Russians. Then this past April, Butina's home is raided and Torshin is put on the American sanctions list for interference in the 2016 election. Butina recently graduated, at, like just last month, uh, or whoever was doing her homework for her graduated. <laughs> from Trump University? <laughs> <laughs> Some American University in D.C., I'm not sure which one. I think, it, Yeah, I think it might have been America, American University. It's American University, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so she graduated and was, it was looking like she was getting ready to leave town. Okay. Her lease was up. She didn't renew her lease. The FBI knew all this. They knew all of this. Uh, her lease was up at the end of July. She had rented a U-Haul under her name to go to South Carolina. That's where Paul Erickson lives, by the way. And he's mm-hmm. currently under criminal inv- investigation by the FBI there. We learned that this week. 
So the FBI found all this out. So the Department of Justice got a warrant based on the FBI affidavit, and she was arrested over the weekend, kept under seal. She was indicted Monday for not registering with FARA. And then a second conspiracy charge was added Tuesday, or a second charge of conspiracy was added Tuesday. She went to court Wednesday, where the judge deemed her a flight risk, (laughs) no, Uh, (laughs) and remanded her into custody. And she sits in jail now, awaiting another hearing on Wednesday of this week, uh, which is day after tomorrow from when you're listening to this. Oddly, in her hearing last Wednesday, a new prosecutor for the United States popped up. Hadn't seen her in court before for this case. Barbara Curtis is her name. And if it sounds familiar, she's the espionage expert that Mueller added to his team this past spring. (laughs) So even though Mueller's team did not indict Boudinna, a member of his team was at her hearing. So these collusion indictments might also come out of the DOJ, if you think about it. Um, Mueller might have had the Department of Justice run this, run with this, so that it doesn't have anything to do with whether he's fired. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if any other further crimes of collusion for Americans are also going to come out of the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. But he also has this special way of, remember the special assistants, the mini Mullers, right. I call them, where like the Manafort case and the Gates case, for example, those uh, prosecutors, Weissman and somebody else, they've been given um, special authority to continue on down their course no regardless of, yeah. So he kind of handed off his authority to them, 100%. So I don't know if it's going to be mini Mullers that he hands off these collusion crimes to, or if he just does them straight out of the DOJ. Because Benchkowski is looming, right? Yeah. So, and and what's his name? Um, Meadows, Mark Meadows of the House Intelligence Committee has impeachment papers ready to go on Rosenstein. So we don't know how that's going to work out, but I, I I have full faith in Mueller. So. That's amazing. Anyway. Wow. That's uh, the Bootna indictment. And I dropped 19 other pieces of news and eight conjectures. Oh, God. So you're welcome. Yeah. That's crazy. Thank Thank you, A.G. A lot of beans. Lots of beans. beans. (laughs) I like the bean count you had going along the way. I have a bean counter. (laughs) (laughs) If you're just on Bootna and Erickson, if you're going to come and undermine a nation's democracy, you can't fall in love. That's (laughs) rule number one. Rule number one. What is she doing? Well, There's some rom-com here. She didn't. Come. She was just doing her I job, know, just right? Kidding, yeah. He might have been Twitter-pated, <laughs> but, you know. Have you seen his picture? He oh, looks yeah. like he would have fell for her. He, yeah. yeah. like It's immediate. like locked up abroad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, if you're a five and there's a nine all over you and she's Russian, Come you might want to think yeah. twice about where that's coming yeah. from. She might be linking you into international crimes. <laughs> Especially if you're a political person. <laughs> like, we got to make a Twitter bio, for, not Twitter, a Tinder bio for her. I wonder like, what we could do with that. Hers would pair. be great. Yeah. Uh, but Erickson's? Not so much. Yeah. Well, you're bad for being manipulated by a pretty woman. Have some fucking self-respect. Yeah. True. I'm sure he's got a great personality. (laughs) 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 All right, you guys, we'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. Thank you so much for supporting our show and supporting women in podcasting. I need to ask you for a quick favor that will not cost you a dime. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and then subscribe. That simple act goes a long way to helping us get the word out about the Mueller investigation. And more importantly, it expands our efforts to flip Congress blue in November. And don't forget, follow us on Twitter at Mueller She Wrote to be automatically entered to win a PlayStation 4. Don't ask. Thank you so much for listening. We would not be here without you. All right, you guys ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Oh, yes. (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, the indictments are going to start coming at a fevered pace starting this month. So I wanted to make an actual game out of it for our patrons. Ooh. So step one is you have to become a patron at any level. Little's a dollar. Go to patreon.com slash wrote. Then ask to join our secret Facebook group called Friends of Justice. So you sign up for the Patreon. You go search for Friends of Justice. You sign up there because that's where we're going to be doing all the posts in that Facebook group. Then I'll put out a post every Monday where you can reply with your five picks for the week. Okay. Inner Circle Big Fish are worth five points. <laughs> uh, Outer Ring Americans are worth two points. And Outer Ring Russians or people we've never heard of before are worth one point. Okay. So... For example, this week, let's say your five picks are Stone, Donald Trump Jr., two Russians, and someone we've never heard of. Then if all of those people are indicted, you get 10 points, okay? Five for Donald Trump Jr., because he's center. Uh, two for Stone, because he's an outer circle American. And one for each of the randos, three of them. There's two Russians and someone we've never heard of. Yeah. So that's 10 points, I think. Five, two, three. Yeah, 10. Very nice. I only took advanced calculus, but addition <laughs> fucks me up. So so we're going to have somebody, I'm sure, will track the points each week. Uh, and the person with the most points when Trump leaves office, however he leaves, whether he's voted out or impeached or he dies, I don't care how he leaves, but when he leaves <laughs> office, um, whoever has the most points is the winner. What's the prize? I'm not allowed to tell you. It's good, though, but we're not gambling. Good, good. We're you, gambling with our democracy, but that's it. No, they are. <laughs> We're just betting on it. There you go. Are you guys ready for sabotage? Yeah. All right. According to The Intercept, Saturday morning, Ecuador will eminently withdraw asylum for Julian Assange and hand him over to the United Kingdom. Nice. That means Assange will be kicked out of the Ecuadorian embassy in the UK and hand it over to British authorities. And I think it's safe to assume he could be extradited to the United States. But that could take a while. But there may be a sealed indictment on the docket for him already, which could expedite the extradition. That's a lot of Xing. Yeah. <laughs> expedite the extradition for the expat. <laughs> um, put some beans on that if you like. I think there might be a sealed indictment for him already. Oh, Dude, of course. That's huge. Yeah. It's giant. He may be charged in the US by Mueller not just for leaking the stolen emails. That's not a crime, right? Being WikiLeaks isn't really a crime. Mm -hmm. But for conspiring with the Trump campaign to release the documents at specific times to weaponize oh, those hacked materials. That's a crime. That's conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Uh it makes me want to put Assange on my fantasy indictment team this week. Is he not already? I, well, we have to pick five for the week. Oh. And you, you you change it every week if you want. That's right. So for this week, I've got Assange, Stone, Cohen, Arando, and Donald Trump Jr. Those are my five. Who's well, Arando? Arando is a random person. Oh. A random Russian or one point for that. Yeah, somebody yeah. we've oh, never heard it, of. Okay. Yeah, Rando. That's what I call them, randos. Okay. <laughs> Do you I ever do that? Like when you're just hanging out at a bar, a bunch of guys are talking to you. He's like, fuck all these randos. Yeah. That's what I call them. <laughs> nice. All right, so who do you guys have? You got to pick five. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to not pick. The only one that I might not do that you did instead of Donald Trump Jr. Mm. You said Stone, right? Yeah. Yeah, I said Stone, Assange, Cohen, DT Jr., and Arando. Okay, okay. For sure, for sure Stone. I fucking hope so. Mm -hmm. um, depending on... Oh, and organizations and entities and businesses are also worth two points. Okay, good to know. Yeah. I mean, part of me wants to say, even though they look like they're not treating her as a target, um, Davis, she seems really sketchy. Mm -hmm. 
Davis and then anyone in his inner circle, basically. But I guess the idea would be that... Like Miller, Sullivan. Exactly. Or not, maybe not Sullivan, but Miller. Miller, I know, has been working with him for a long time on multiple things. and Because these people have ties also to their work but you gotta outside think he's, of this. He's fighting a subpoena right now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that you would indict somebody in the middle of a subpoena fight. Yeah, not right now. So I wouldn't so put him say, on this you're week. You're saying like, oh, like this week. This week. Every week you can pick your five, right? Every week you get to update your team. Okay. Well, but I don't if know you know if I like five names that I think will actually get indicted this week. Well, no, but you get points if anyone does. And no points taken away. So, if you like, get it wrong. think about fantasy football, right? Yeah. Like, this, this is week, more me not understanding how fantasy football like, works. <laughs> so, like, every week I pick five players, and four of them might do shit, but one of them might get 100 yards. So, yeah. I get points for that. Three of them might do something. None of them might do anything. Mm-hmm. But if there's any indictments this week, you could get points for it if you name the right person and you have five chances to do that. Does that make sense? It does. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so I'm going Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going Stone. Mm-hmm. I'm going Donald Trump Jr. Mm-hmm. I'm going fucking Kushner because I just really want that to happen. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm doing Rohrabacher. Okay. Nice. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, I think congressmen. I feel like congressmen should be five points. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So congressmen and inner circle, five Very points. Nice. For yeah. sure, for sure. Okay. Um, I, the top, the, the three are the same. Okay, Cohen, Stone... Uh, who you know? Okay, I want to throw a rando in there before I forget because <laughs> I always feel dumb for not at least having one of those. Um, you know, Manafort's wife. We talked about her a little bit. Um, you said you think you, she would only get like immunity or something. I like, think she's one of the five people gonna, that's going to be granted use immunity in Manafort's yeah, trial, and you wouldn't get indicted for anything else if you're doing that, right? It just right. would be too much paperwork. <laughs> All right, who is tough? Um, I'm gonna do two randos. <laughs> yeah, because so one of them could be an entity. Somebody, yeah, yeah. you could just do five randos every week, and you might get points. Okay, Seriously. okay. So we got Stone Cohen. Um, oh, uh, Julian Assange. Uh, okay, Assange. so yeah, you yeah. want Stone Cohen Assange and two randos? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Cool. Wait, sorry. I'm gonna change really quick. I'm gonna take out. I'm taking out Kushner and putting in a rando. Nice. Okay. Now you have to also remember randos are only worth one point, and Kushner's right. worth five. That's okay. So For this that's week, the, I'm that's gonna... kind of the get the stretch. Yeah, the, yeah. The strategery. I like okay, it, but I feel it. like Kushner's still do down it. the way. Yeah, just studying I think him he's this down week. The way too. Yeah, he's okay. a big fish. Yeah. All right, kids, are you ready to flip it blue? Oh, yeah. All right. For our final segment, Jordan interviewed Amar Kampa Najjar. Uh, he's a Democratic candidate for California's 50th. So let's check out that interview. Hello, folks. Today for our Flip It Blue segment, we are joined by Amar Kampa Najjar. He is a congressional candidate running in California's 50th district. Amar, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Love to be on the program. Yeah, we're excited to get a chance to chat with you. Uh, so, as we said, you're running for California's 50th district seat. You're going up against Duncan Hunter. We wanted to take today to just give you some time to showcase your campaign, some challenges that you all are facing, and your plans to win this year, uh, win in 2018. It's super excited to have you here. So if we could just start off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, the experience you have, and why you decided to run? Sure, sure. Well, thanks for giving me the, the platform to speak for a little bit. So, yeah, I was born in this district that I'm running in. Uh, I'm from San Diego. Um, nationally, people call me the Latino Arab American running in the Trump era. Um, back home, I'm just a skinny brown guy with a funny name who's trying to provide a little bit of hope and a little bit of help uh, in a district that hasn't had much change for many years. The guy I'm running against, his name is Duncan Hunter Jr. He's been around for about 10 years. And then for 30 years prior to that, 
His father was the congressman, Congressman Duncan Hunter Sr. So for 40 years, almost half a century, the Duncan Hunter dynasty has held the seat. And uh, I think that when we have members of Congress who, you know, are there for too long, or when you have gerrymandering where you have politicians picking their voters instead of the other way around, or when you have somebody inherit their seat and then sell their votes in Congress at the highest bidder, the highest corporate bidder, I think that that has a corrosive quality to our democracy. And I really think Jordan right now is a where were you moment in the life of our country. People are going to look back and ask us quite literally, where were you when people were fighting for their lives and their health care and their constitutional rights? And I want to say that I was there fighting the good fight and uh, making sure that all of my efforts counted. Um, I used to work for the U.S. Department of Labor under Obama. I worked at the White House for a while. And uh, now I'm a small business owner. So I'm able to reach across the aisle because of my business understanding. But I'm a, I'm a diehard progressive when it comes to the important issues. I don't think anybody in America uh, should have to die because they're too poor to live. I believe that health care is a right. Um, I believe that we're a country of immigrants. Um, even if we are a country of laws, um, I think the most defining question of our time is not how many people break the law in America, but how many laws have broken people. And I think we have to have new leadership to take on these new challenges that we have in this country. And I think, I think you've heard about Congressman Duncan Hunter. He's broken the law when it comes to uh, fundraising and, and his financial contributions. He's used them for his own personal benefit. And so my question to voters is, how can we expect someone to pass and enforce laws when they're too busy breaking them themselves? So, you know, we have a lot of corruption happening in Washington today, and Duncan Hunter's the poster child for someone who is corrupt and also defies the FBI and doesn't believe that our law enforcement, uh, he doesn't side with America's law enforcement. So he's one of those people that kind of fits the mold of what we have right now in the White House. Well, thank you so much for that answer that we do sound fired up and ready to go and exactly like the candidate that your district needs right now. I wanted to talk a little bit about your district specifically. What are some of the biggest issues your constituents are facing right now and what do you have on your platform that's going to address those things? Sure. I mean, I think one of the things that's going to be consequential that just happened is this new tax plan, right? Congressman Duncan Hunter said literally on TV on San Diego Airwaves that this tax plan is going to hurt California families. And he still went ahead and passed it and, and voted for it. Um, so I think this tax plan is going to hurt a lot of people. In our district, we rely on the state and local tax deductions that a lot of working families rely on for relief. And that's going to be you know, taken away from people. Um, my district is, has doubled the unemployment rate of the rest of San Diego County. And so you know, jobs are hard to come by in my district. And wages have been stagnant for many years. So to hear this, you know, adding to, to the strain of the working class, this tax plan is the problem. And then, of course, the health care issue, right? I mean, health care is still extremely expensive. It's about one-fifth of our country's economy. And people feel it. It's a strain. So by the time they're done, you know, paying their taxes, now that it's gone up under, under, under Trump, um, by the time they're done paying their premiums, by the time they're done paying for, you know, the basic goods and, and needs that they have, they have no disposable income. They're left, you know, uh, living to work and not working to live. And it's hurting people. It's this economic injustice that people are facing. And it's tied to social and racial injustice. So I think the economy is still the number one issue in my district. People care about their personal health, their personal safety, and their personal financial dignity. So 
if I could help people, you know, give them some relief by um, working on some programs that I worked at the Department of Labor, like apprenticeship jobs, trade school, and really invested in that, I think we could do a lot of good. You know, when I was at the Department of Labor, I left President Trump a memo. And I said, here's a program that sounds like your TV show. It's called Apprenticeship. Why don't you do what you always do, which is, you know, put your name on something that already exists and claim credit for things that already exist, whether it's his Trump hotels or this economy that he inherited from President Obama. He seems fine taking credit for other people's work. And if he wants to do that with apprenticeship and invest more in it, go ahead. But we've seen him strip away at those job programs. And uh, that's something that I want to be able to invest in a a lot more. I think, you know, walls don't work work if you invest in them. I'd rather invest in in people than the wall. I'd rather repeal and and reverse the current, uh, the president's current um, uh, budget and invest $35 billion in workforce development. It's a stupid wall. That's a monument to stupidity that won't do anything. Um, So that's really my core focus is jobs in the economy. That sounds fantastic. And I know we're from San Diego, as you may know. So all those issues are super Mm -hmm. prevalent right now in our district as well. Uh, I wanted to go back to what you said about Duncan Hunter really quick. If I understand correctly, he outwardly said that he knew this tax bill would hurt American families. And then he still voted against the interest of his constituents when he voted for that tax bill, correct? That's correct. I mean, he literally said on KUSI, he said that that this tax plan is going to hurt California. And then he said, well, California is stupid. I'm not going to make the rest of the country have to shoulder the burden for California. And he's talking about California's local, um, you know, our state taxes and our, the way we do things in California, which is the fifth biggest economy in the world. I think we we're pretty good in a balanced budget when it comes to the government. So I think his attacks on California's government is kind of ridiculous, but um, this is a guy who doesn't take personal responsibility, right? For anything, whether it's his personal life, you know, he blamed his wife and his kids on the whole like spending campaign funds. He said it was their fault and talk about family values. Right. And then he blames California for a vote that he made in Washington. And so he needs to take responsibility when he passes a law, and it hurts California families, the buck stops with him. When there's campaign fraud and embezzlement taking place, the buck stops with him. He needs to take personal responsibility. And maybe it's time for him to step away from the the legislative side of things and take care of his personal life because he seems to have a lot going on. And it's happening at the expense of voters in the district who really need help. And um, it's, it's a really sad time for, for our country that we have someone like Duncan Hunter who doesn't care about voters, who was asked by a Republican voter at a town hall, do you think your son will follow in your footsteps like your father and you did? And he said, no, my son's going to have a real job. Hmm. So this is a man who clearly doesn't take this job seriously. And people put their hopes and fears and dreams and livelihoods in people's hands who run for Congress, who serve in Congress, because for the choices he makes in Congress, could be a matter of life and death for people who are an illness away from losing their home. So I don't know what he regards as a real job, but there is no higher honor than serving the public. And he seems to not respect that at all. He's, a, he's an entitled man who thinks that Social Security and Medicare are entitlements, but I don't think that's true. I think inheriting your seat from your father and not caring about that seat or the people you represent, that's an entitlement. And we don't need people like him in Congress, to be honest. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Amar. Uh, so if he's not representing his constituents with his votes, who is Duncan beholden to in Congress when he's voting? Yeah, I mean, look at his campaign funds and where they're coming from. They're coming from telecoms. That's why he's voting the way he does on net neutrality. That's why he's, um, you know, he gets money from the NRA. That's why he's saying that teachers should have uh, guns in classrooms when he should know better because in the military, which is a gun-free zone, a private gun-free zone, instructors and teachers are not allowed to carry private firearms in classrooms on military bases. And the reason is, they say, because it could increase the likelihood of accidents or suicide or some other thing that's unexpected. So why would it, why would it be good for civilian life if the rank and file in the military that he served think it's unwise to have teachers carrying firearms in the military? So, and then big oil, big pharma, all, all the, the, the suspects that you expect um, would give money to a, a congressman who, you know, um, doesn't really care about um, the interests of the district, but the special interests in Washington. So segueing into our next question, then, what do you think the 2018 midterm means to your constituents and to the Democratic Party and to you? What is the significance of 2018 versus another year, let's say, because this is an important year? Yeah, I think that this is a, this could be a redemptive year for... Um, our country, right? I think a lot of people, you know, uh, people ask me, like, I was in Washington, D.C. when Donald Trump got elected. I was working at the Department of Labor, and people asked me, um, you know, how'd you feel? And I said, you know, I slept like a baby, to be honest. I woke up every two hours, I cried, and went back to bed, right? That was my life for a little bit. And I think a lot of people felt that way. And people feel like uh, something was lost. I-, I remember being on the Metro going to work the next day, and strangers were crying on each other's shoulders. I, that's literally the, the sight that I had on my first day of work. And I think people felt like there was some kind of uh, mourning a loss, like a death. And no one was able to articulate it, but it felt like our democracy had died, right? That there was this country that we love and lost, that something happened that wasn't supposed to happen. And I think 2018 could be the beginning of riding that ship. Um, and I think we're seeing on the heels of... Um, Donald Trump's, you know, terrible, abysmal, horrific, um, extremely just embarrassing trip to, to, to meet with uh, Putin. Um, we have a we have a president who is siding with the Kremlin and not with uh, intelligence and law enforcement in our own country. And for those of us who believe we are a nation of laws, I think this is a step too far for most of us. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, you know, it's time to to get rid of the hostility and the divisiveness that's happening in Washington. It seems like he hasn't drained the swamp. He's he's made the rest of the country infected by the swamp. Um, And I think there's a lot of people who just want civility um, and some stability back into the way that government works. This campaign, my election, the 2018 election cycle, it's not about me. It's not about any of these candidates that are running that have been on your show. It's about you and me, Jordan, everybody else uh, becoming an unstoppable we, right? Against the corruption, the greed, um, the adversity that we're facing during these times. And so I think this is a turning point. And again, like I said, it's a where were you moment. And we're going to look back at this year and we're going to say, was that the moment that we, you know, went over the ledge and went towards a point of no return? Or did we redeem our country? Did we restore it? Did we bring it back? 
And I think the way that we vote this year, I think is going to determine the next two years and frankly, the next four years, if Trump um, becomes president for four more years or not. And I don't think um, our democracy can withstand eight years of Trump. I don't think it can. And so everything is on the line. And, you know, I talked to a lot of voters who asked me, um, you know, worried. Those people who are on those rallies, they asked me, do you think that our democracy, in the midst of all this, do you think our democracy and our governing institutions will protect us? And the honest truth, Jordan, is no. Clearly no. That's not the question. The question is, are we going to defend our democracy? Are we going to defend our governing institutions? We hold in our mortal hands the ability to, to change the course of this country. Um, and it's not it's on us to protect those things, right? Our, our rights are self-evident, but they're not self-executed, and they could be taken away from us. And I think people have woken up and realized that we can't take our democracy for granted because more threatening than Donald Trump, than Russia, than North Korea, to our democracy is us as voters taking it for granted. And I think, I hope we learned our lesson from 2016, and we don't repeat that mistake again. Our vote matters. Uh, this year, more than ever. Um, we appreciate having you so much today, Amar, on the program. It has been such a joy talking to you. We don't want to take up too much of your time. We know you're very busy. Before we send you off, though, could you please let mm-hmm. our listeners know where they can go to help volunteer on the ground or if they want to donate to your campaign or just follow your journey? Uh, let them know where they can follow you. Oh, thank you so much for doing that. So uh, you can follow me on campacampaign.com. It sounds like a stutter. Campacampaign.com or on Facebook, Amar Campa for Congress. Um, I'm not taking any corporate PAC money. Right now is the season where we're trying to fundraise so I can multiply my message, get more people to have more clipboards, keep my offices open, get our message out there. So if you liked what you heard today, help me multiply that message and and beat um, Duncan Hunter and his billionaire buddies uh, by not taking any corporate PAC money at all and leading with my values um, and fighting for health care and jobs and, and justice uh, for all of us. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amar. Folks, you heard it on Mueller. She wrote the California's 50th District Congressional Democratic Candidate, Amar Kampanajar. Thank you so much. We will be following you and best of luck on the trail. Thank you so much, Jordan. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for sticking with us for this absolutely insane episode. I'm surprised we did it in under 8,000 hours. You're all amazing. We love you. We will see you next week, where hopefully we will be announcing a winner of a PlayStation 4. <gasps> We're so close. We're only about 500 followers away from yeah. 10,000 on Twitter. And if when we get to 10,000, it was supposed to be 10,000 on Twitter and 10,000 on Facebook, but we only have like 2,800 on Facebook, and I don't think it's ever going to get anywhere close. So I'm just going to bite the bullet and get somebody a PlayStation 4. Nice. Yeah. All Very right, nice. guys. Yeah, I, 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 I'm excited to announce it. I don't know how I'm going to randomly select uh, one of our Twitter followers. There are generators. There's generators? Yeah, that's the, probably the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I want it to just be completely anonymous. Right, because and... if Poop Weasel gets it, I mean, they are my spirit animal, but like, that'd be, I mean, like, it could still happen, but also we'll make sure there's a way to record it too, make it very transparent if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. let's make sure we do that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, we'll have Comey People selected. actually getting upset at us that we didn't select yeah, it I in mean, an ethical way. No, I bet if we have Comey <laughs> reveal it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nobody will actually believe yeah. it. <laughs> I meant you wouldn't get a PS4. <laughs> That's what I meant. You won't win a PlayStation 4. Yeah, yeah. You just put my words in the past. <laughs> All right, you guys. Anyway, remember to vote. Please get out there. Support everything you can do. Call your congressman. Complain. Be loud. Let's go march. Whatever you need to do. Uh, make a sign that says treason with the 45 as the, as the EA or whatever it is. Yep. Or AO. A-S? Yeah. Words, letters, I forget too. Yeah. (laughs) T-R-E-4-5-O-N. E-A. Yeah, you're right the first time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, I think I was wrong the first time. Oh. Anyway, it's totally (laughs) fine. We know what it is. Go make a sign. Go march. I love you. Yeah. I've been A-G. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. This is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Market consulting by Amanda Reeder at Unicorn Creative. Our digital media director and subscriber managers are Jordan Coburn and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Fact checking and research by AG with support from Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Muller She Wrote staff includes AG, Jaleesa Johnson, Jordan Coburn, Sarah Hirschberger Valencia, Jesse Egan, and Sarah Lee Steiner. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. M-S-W Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. 
I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.